podcast this week. Mamma mia! Here we go again with Jeremy Irvine, star of Mamma mia! Here we go again. Plus, we threw open the doors of Hotel Podcast for Drew Pierce, the writer and director of Hotel Artemis. That's how he gives us a good review on TripAdvisor. All that unusual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that isn't at Comic-Con this year, but will be holding its very own ChrisCon round the back of the bins at ASDA. 2pm tomorrow. There's a long, long line of events in Hall H. I won't tell you what Hall H is. No. You have to be there to no. find out. No. No. Is no. this running in uh, competition with Camden Con, which Nick and I started this morning in the Morrison's DVD aisle? <laughs> what? what, what? Um, okay. They had a copy of Mrs. Brown's Boys the movie going for about £2. Really? Yeah. £2? So yes. much? Mm. Cheap at 200 times the price. Can I just say, I, I googled Mrs. Brown's Boys, the movie, when I put uh-huh. that up on Instagram to make sure I spelled it right. And uh, Google alphabetized it as D apostrophe Mrs. Brown's Boys movie. Well, you see, having an apostrophe in it makes me like it more, but. But they transposed that, the de movie from the end of movie and chucked it at the very beginning of the whole thing. This is fascinating. Can mind. I introduce you? Oh, hi! <laughs> Dear God, hello pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the Empire Podcast, which this week once again is brought to you by those wonderful peeps at Sky Cinema, the dedicated home for movie lovers. Uh, later in the show, I'll be pointing out a couple of movies that you can watch in Sky Cinema, just two movies from the thousand plus films that are available on demand on Sky Cinema, including a brand new pre- no, not saying that, I'm not saying brand new premiere, it's a tautology, including a super duper brand new premiere. No. Every- a brand... No. A new, nope. a new, nope. a, a premiere, Yay. including a premiere every single day. It's Sky How, Cinema, the premiere. It is the premiere. How exciting! And yes, welcome to the Emperor Podcast uh, this week, as ever. I am joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. You've already heard them just <laughs> r- running roughshod <laughs> over the format we've established uh, years ago. Uh, first up is our geek queen. You know her from things like banging on about Supernatural and banging on about Hamilton. Hey, Helen, look at this. What? Uh, uh, you're having trouble Helen, getting your... Oh, you're wearing Hamilton Helen, socks. Look at my feet, Helen. He's look wearing... at them. I'm, oh, I'm looking. Uh, my legs. That was upsetting. He was, he was uh, wearing Hamilton socks. So that's uh, right. He's pulled a hamstring. I have. I pulled a Hamilton <laughs> string. It's good. It's yeah, good. It's not good. No, it's, it's not. not. It really hurts. Um, can I just share uh, some really important personal news yes. this week? Yes. Um, I went, to, I went to the. It's, it's it's actually bigger than that, Chris. It's a lot bigger than that. You're getting divorced. So much bigger. I went to the Mamma Mia two premiere this this Monday, <laughs> and Cher walked past me. Wow. I mean, she was as far from me as you are now, Chris. Which is about for those of you listening at home, three to four feet. Yes, it's. Uh, he has to keep that far back. I have yeah, legally. Yeah, I had to keep speaking. this far. And when I showed you my my socks there. That, in theory, was in contravention. It was, it was of, a little too close. I was uncomfortable. Yeah, I, d- I didn't fine. go to that premiere. I didn't know Cher was going to be there. And I'll be honest, if I could turn back time, I absolutely would do. <laughs> you would find a way. I would find a way. Yeah. Um, honestly, it was it was hilarious. We walked in and the first people we saw were Tom Hanks and Reed Wilson and Cher and can Meryl Streep. And... Can I ask you a question? Yeah. And I, I'm going to introduce you in a second. Uh, person who keeps hey, that's talking. James. We'll get, them, we'll get to James in a second. I have a big build-up for him. Don't oh, worry, sorry, it's all I'm good. Sorry. Um, Why does he get a big build-up? He got a big build-up. 
You got me straining my. I went through physical exertions. I've yeah. suffered a workplace injury thanks to you. Uh-huh. I'm a first aider. I'm doing a marathon. <laughs> I'll tomorrow. sort you out afterwards. <laughs> this sounds like a collection of brick tamlins at the moment. I'm a first aider. I'm doing a marathon tomorrow. Uh, why was Why was Tom Hanks there? Uh, He's is he an producer? Exec producer yeah. He's, He's an, an exec, exec producer. producer. That makes sense. Yeah. And Cher was there because she was in the film. We're going to get to that. She is. She's in the film. Eventually. Okay. And were they all Spoiler. there? All the big names? Bronholm? Um, yes. Yes, all of them, basically. Firthy, the Firth of Fourth? The Firth of Fourth, the Bronholm, the Scars Guardian. What, what about Streepapalooza? Was she there? Streepapalooza was all over the place, man. She was in her blue dress that matched the blue carpet. It was very blue. Huh. It was like her language. Um, and um, uh, Lily James was in a beautiful dress. Baronet Baranski. Yes, she was fantastic. Somebody mm. explained to her what it, that she has big dick energy. <laughs> <laughs> I so, would give real money to have heard that conversation. That is online. You can hear it at the push of a button. And Christine Baranski had not heard of big dick energy. She had not heard of it. And, okay. and, and she, she pretty much guessed what it was so, and understood it and seemed flattered. Yeah. Have we, because I was off for a week or so and I missed an episode and I didn't listen back to it because mm. why would I? Did we discuss big dick energy? I don't believe we on did. On the podcast? No. Is it, has it had its moment in, the, it's in the sun? Yeah, it's gone. It's memement, yeah. if you will. I'm, I'm not going to discuss anything because it just, you know, depresses me. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. That's you, Don Helen. You're, you're, Hello, in, you're yes. in the corner. That's you in the corner. That's you in the spotlight. I'm, uh, <laughs> and it's now time for a big build up for the other colleague of Lethal Cunning who is mm-hmm. in the uh, podcast this week. And, yeah, um, James. And James Dyer is here, which is also nice, I guess. Thanks. Hi. You all right? Yeah. Good. Uh, what, have you been, what have you been up to? Uh, it's hard to say. I didn't, <laughs> so often. I'm a first aider. I'm a, and I killed a guy with a trident. I built a treehouse. Uh, yeah, it's, it's true. Uh, what have I been doing? I finally fucking finished. Oh, language, Timothy. Luke Cage season two. Now, once I'd like to get to the end of an episode of the podcast without having to tick the little explicit language box. You'd miss it if you didn't have to do that. Yeah. Um, yes, I finished Luke Cage season two. I didn't watch Mamma Mia because I've never seen the first one because Abbott is what <laughs> Satan's farts sound like. And I can't Sorry. be dealing with that. Um, the, the idea that you'd lose a lot of the plot by not having seen the first one. No, I feel Mama you can't Mia. join a complicated story mid-flow. This mm. is long-form storytelling and I feel you need to start at the beginning. So I gave that a miss. Right. I did, however, see Hotel Artemis this week, which we will talk about a bit later. Hurrah. Yes, we will, in the reviews section of the show. Let's yes, spoiler. Yes, again, it's been established over the last six years of the show. <laughs> hey, do we well, have a question? We, yeah, we do have a question. Oh, should we make that uh, announcement we were talking about beforehand? Oh, yes. yes. We should probably do that. The uh, announcement. The announcement. So this is the last episode of the podcast. That's it, the podcast no, is closed. No, no that's, not no, that's, not, that's it. not it. That's not it. I'm giving you a drum roll, okay? Okay. Oh, that's my hamstring popping back into place. Uh, okay, so this isn't 100% confirmed, but I, yeah, I'm going to with it anyway. We are going to be live once again at the London Podcast Festival in early September. Looks like we're going to be... Are you all right? <coughs> Go on. Looks like we're going to be doing a live show on Friday, September 7th. It is a Friday, isn't it? Hooray! It is a Friday? Yes. I've asked for the Friday, so yes. Uh, Friday, September 7th at King's Place and the London Podcast Festival lineup this year is so big that they have extended it to two weekends. They've loads of big American podcasts and big American podcast hosts coming over and plying their podwares at the King's Place 
and it's going to be very very exciting to be part of that uh, we were there for our 300th episode back in February we were there last year for the London Podcast Festival had an absolute blast and we hope that you could join us tickets will be going on sale for us very very soon at kingsplace.co.uk but also I think this year as was last year there is a discount if you buy three tickets to see three shows you can get a discount so check it out www.kingsplace.co.uk check it out it should be fun and because uh, we confirmed it this week yeah it is now July 19th you'll be listening to this on July 20th uh, podcast listeners which gives me just over a month to book a guest <laughs> So if but, you'd like to be a guest on the Empire Podcast, yeah. please contact us on Twitter. It would, listen, if you are a famous person and will be yes. in London... And, and famous is, a, is an elastic term. I have sent a DM to Tom Cruise. You haven't. I, I'm not far off. <laughs> I'm not far off. Dear Tom Cruise. Dear Tom Hiddleston. Dear Tom Cruise, you share a name with a famous film star. Would you be interested in coming on the podcast? <laughs> We should just have people who are named after film characters. That'd be amazing. So anyway, do come along to that. That should be a lot of fun. Meantime, should we have a question? Yeah. And this question comes from someone who's been on the podcast. (gasps) Although a podcast that disappeared into the ether. We we lost the podcast because it was a podcast we recorded at Star Wars Celebration. That went out live at the time and I think someone forgot to record it. Yes, that may be right. It wasn't me. I can tell you that. Okay, well. mm. There was a technical snafu. There There was an incident. (laughs) <laughs> the incident, the we, incident. Yeah, we refer to it as the incident <laughs> it's why Helen and I have to stay five feet apart from each other. Um, okay the, uh, the person in question is Brian Herrien who of course is the brilliant puppeteer behind BB-8 and sometimes on top of BB-8 but never inside he's also crucial. a porgmeister is he? Mm, yeah he, he's full porg I thought they were just puffins that had been CG'd no partly, no. partly. Brian partly. is part man part porg that's how he rolls Oh, no. see, that's just BB-8 humour. No. Uh, so he is on Twitter as at Brian Heza, and he has asked us this question. Have the podcast ever loved or hated a movie and then watched it again years later and had a totally different response to it? I've warmed up a lot on some films and probably cooled off on others. So let me um, guess. Yeah, go ahead. Interstellar and the Ugh. entire James Bond library. <laughs> I was never warm on those. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that that's... Probably not unfair, actually. Some films, the more I think about them, the less I like. But actually, Interstellar, what warmed me up on that slightly... Oh, you I are warmed really up. didn't like... No, I still don't like it, but I, like oh. it, I dislike it less <laughs> because I went to a talk that Paul Franklin gave about the effects in Interstellar. Yes. And it made me appreciate it more. But I still think the story is trash. So, you know. Uh, well, Paul Franklin, if you're listening to this, <laughs> you got Helen halfway. Halfway. Halfway there. You mean the uh, five star masterpiece that is in Stella? Uh, is that anyway. the, like the four star masterpiece that is? Oh, my God. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Um, but no, I've warmed up on Nightmare Before Christmas. Weirdly, I was, maybe because I was you overhyped, were... I was a little bit let down by that the first a time I saw it. A hater. Interesting. For, there for are no like... penguins in that film. You surprised me. Well, you know, I am famously a penguin hater. You are. Yeah. Um, but no, uh, there, so there's a few films like that that I, they kind of grew on me the more I watch them. Um, but I'm having trouble thinking of other examples now. So that's good. You know, you've only had the question since Monday, in fairness. Oh, so. like yeah. I don't prepare for Monday, Chris. Well, you I, don't prepare at all. I, I so. yeah, this is true. This is true. Chris and I share the uh, the great Phantom Menace revelation. <laughs> oh, I was uh, there for that. Yes, which you were there when we just we were crestfallen. We I were think I've said this crushed. before. I'm swinging back the other way. Are you? I'm swinging back <laughs> well, the other no, way. So having, having not yes. seen it. And I think this is crucial. This is crucial to liking The Phantom Menace. <laughs> don't watch it. Don't see it. Just yeah. That's, yeah, like, that's kind of what I'm doing with AI. 
Like, I adored AI, so I'm right. just not going back to see it in case yeah, I'm I didn't wrong. Like it. Yeah. I don't want to know. There's yeah. that thing where you're scared if you go back, the scales will fall yeah. from your eyes. I just got invited by the Story Geeks, who very, mm. you know, you lovely, run, you yeah, run yeah, uh, their podcast uh, a couple of months ago, doing a Captain America episode. And they just asked me to do an Event Horizon episode. And so I've said, yes. Did you say? Uh, and now I'm terrified because, oh, no. honestly, I haven't seen Event Horizon <laughs> for a long time. Oh, and you're going to watch it and be like, it's not very good. It's, it's a bit rubbish, guys. Oh, yeah, gang. We don't need eyes to see. Do you see? <laughs> <laughs> This ship is fucked. I mean, it is. <laughs> um, no, yeah, the Phantom Menace one, obviously Chris and I defended it for like 10 years, <laughs> and then we saw it in 3D. <laughs> and we've since, however, having not watched it again, decided that it's the best of the prequels. <laughs> so we're not consistent here at Empire. No, I still think uh, Sith is the best of the prequels. You're wrong. But it's you terrible. have watched Sith again I have, recently. I have actually watched all three recently. And you think it's terrible. It's bad, yeah. 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 Attack of the Clones is unwatchably shit. Uh, Sith is bad. Uh, and Phantom Menace was while heavily flawed, has moments of genius, so it gets a pass. It really does, and it has big Liam, and that's just an, it's an automatic four stars. Yeah. Isn't it, really? Is it? We're doing our patriotic duty, Helen. By well, that's fair, but, I mean... Ability to speak he is the third, intelligent. He is the third greatest living Northern Irishman, after all. Not saying the number two is, but... Uh. <laughs> I'm struggling to figure out who number one is, to be honest. Oh, I'll tell you who it is. It's UTV weatherman Frank Mitchell. Is it? It is. Is it really? <laughs> it really is. Oh, wow. I'm telling Don Morrison and you Are you, are you doing start? this cultural exclusion thing where you talk about really esoteric Northern Irish stuff? <laughs> yes, but there are 14 people who listen to this podcast in Northern Ireland. <laughs> You're going to find that really amusing. They're going to okay. go, Frank Mitchell, <laughs> Jesus Christ, holy shit, I'm in my stomach, I'm laughing so hard, <laughs> fucking hell. And that's what they're, that's what they're doing. That's right what now. they're doing right yeah. now. Okay, good. <laughs> Jason, come in here. Here, come in. That's what it is. He said, Frank Mitchell. And that's how you write Mrs. Brown's voice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The podcast. Yeah. The podcast. <laughs> Welcome to We should do a spider podcast. The spider podcast, Mrs. Brown's voice. Oh, <laughs> I feel like this is a hate crime against our own people. I will. Right I'm going to bring this back to the question. And oh, yeah. I'm going to confess something. But I have never, I don't think I've ever confessed to before. <gasps> I'm not sure I've even confessed it in the office, let alone on the podcast. This well, is hang my on. secret shame. Hang on. Okay. This is okay. my secret shame. So, picture the scene. It's September 1999. James mm-hmm. is naked. <laughs> James is unemployed. <laughs> James is sitting in front of the television in his pants, as, James he, as he was wont to do. has hair at this point? This is 28 uh, James years ago. does have hair at this point, yeah. Describe James's hair. Uh, James's hair at that particular years. point is it? was... 18 years ago. Yeah. There you go. No, hang on. It was a long time. 1999, he said. 1999. Yeah, he said 1999 so, yeah, to 19 like, years ago. Yeah. And you had hair 19 years ago. Yeah, I mean, not a lot of it, but yes, I did. Okay, well, so where was it? It was kind of just like, it was, it was short. It wasn't when I had long hair. It was, it was sort of short. I don't know, it was about like... A, centimetre and a bit like it was it was like shaved but not shaved so it was like cropped okay okay <laughs> this is perhaps more anyway. more visual information than you need for this story. Anyway. here's the screaming he's screaming his hair looked like an ape name name come on in this is a list off the charts podcasting anyway so I'm sitting on the sofa and I'm watching hate crime <laughs> I'm watching TV. I'm watching Sky One and a new TV show started. There's the first episode has gone on and I watched the first episode of this show. <gasps> and at the end of the episode of the show, I was like, meh, meh, whatever. And I didn't watch the next one. And that show was The West Wing. <laughs> I'll tell you something else that you took came around on. 
Battlestar Galactica. This is also true, but let me finish the West Wing thing first. So the West Wing thing, I genuinely, I don't know what was wrong with me. I can only assume I was ever so slightly mentally damaged from having been out of work and basically sitting on my ass playing Nintendo 64 for the better part of 15 months. And in 1989, having just watched The Phantom Menace months prior, which was... That's true. It was <laughs> The Phantom Menace. Which a real number, yes. yeah. Um, and I don't know why. I just didn't, didn't, didn't... And then I watched it again to... And obviously it's now my favourite thing in the whole world. Yeah, but yes, Battlestar Galactica, I watched the miniseries. And again, I had the same thing where I thought, well, this is some straight-to-video sci-fi shit. And of course, you watch it. It's fucking brilliant. I don't know what was wrong with me. Because <laughs> literally, I asked you if, if I should watch it and you were like, no. No, I said, this will never get picked up. It's just nonsense. I mean, 33, which they hadn't made at that point, was demonstrably better. But even the miniseries is it's very, really very good. good. Yeah. So I genuinely, all I can say is, from now on, if you ever read an Empire review that has my byline in it, really just ignore it. Just just write it <laughs> off. Don't don't pay any attention to anything I say. He's completely yeah. untrustworthy. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. That seems fair. Again. Seems fair. I can't think of any TV shows I've gone back on, but I have gone back on a couple of films, sometimes for good, sometimes for ill. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is John Wick recently. Yes, because right. you were pro equalizer. I still am pro equalizer. But you were fact, more pro equalizer. We're very excited about uh, you and you know, all three of us actually yes. are going to see the equalizer yes. two. That's or, the equalizer two. Or EQ two. EQ two is it? Yeah, no one calls Do it. Do they? No. <laughs> It's not like it's ID4, which no. also didn't catch no. on. <laughs> I'm hoping that I will have a better reaction to this second equaliser featuring someone called McCall than I did in the FA Cup final in 1989 oh, when Stuart McCall equalised for Everton against this Liverpool is, to make it 2 all. Is, the equaliser so, finished with yeah. the Battle of B&Q. Where's this going to end? Is it going to be in Ikea? It's going to be in John Wick's. It's going to be a team-up. Very good. <laughs> fairly certain I made that joke when it came out. I'm sure you did. <laughs> but yeah, it could be John Lewis, maybe, you know? Maybe. Never knowingly undersold. Never knowingly underkilled. <laughs> we'll find out. We'll we find, will out. find out. We're very excited. Yeah, I'm trying yeah. to think of like comforting places that you go at the weekend. Like. Uh, my happy place. Yeah. The, the fridge. The sofa. Sa- oh, the it sofa. could be one of those Sam's Club, those giant stores with all of the giant size oh, like, bags of crisps. Who no, goes to Weatherspoons? You don't go to Weatherspoons. No, of course I don't go to Weatherspoons. You don't go to Weatherspoons. No, they're Brexiteers. I sure as shit don't go to a Weatherspoons. <laughs> Having said that, I was in a Weatherspoons last Saturday. <laughs> what, watching football? No, I, I had just finished, uh, so I did the epic MI Fallout spoiler special chat with yes, Chris did, McQuarrie. Which lasted three days, four hours and 59 minutes. I think he's still talking. If, if <laughs> You've honest, him, he's I don't think studio. he's noticed that yeah. I've gone. Uh, and so then after that, I did a Smirshpod special on mission, the mission series with uh, John Rain, a.k.a. at Mr. Ken Shabby. And afterwards, we went to the local watering hole, which was a weather spoons. Well, well, well. Mm. And anecdotes don't get any more rock no, and roll no. than that. On the Empire podcast. Uh, yeah, so John Wick, I didn't like it very much when I saw it, and then I watched it again to see what all the ballyhoo was about, because all you, you you lot were just banging on at me oh relentlessly, you know, just hating my preference for The Equalizer, which I still maintain is a fine action movie. It's fine, but it's no John Wick. Well, yeah, it's no I John mean, Wick. is it? No. I mean, isn't it? No. But, yeah, very, very, I loved it, and part two I prefer, and... If I knew someone who'd been a set of part three recently, then I would be very, very jealous. But mm. Uh, mm. What a bastard that person would yeah. be. Do you think that person would be a bastard? I think that person would be a complete git. Well, that person would have signed an NDA, so couldn't confirm or deny whether he had been in said Helen. So well, I'd like to thank you to cast your aspersions elsewhere. I didn't cast any aspersions. I'm just saying hypothetical. Really? Keanu mm. said that to me on set of... No, I cannot <laughs> say that! Anyway, uh, but going back the other way, the Goonies is a bit shit, isn't it? Ooh. No, no, it I- isn't. 
You know, I, it's, d- I it's still not. think it's kind of fun. I, I watched it last year for a thing and, and, mm. and I enjoyed it. It's, it's, it's good. It's, it's not good. It's there, not good. There are a number of, shall we say, much-loved 80s action films that I will not name that I have re-watched <laughs> recently and decided I don't think are great. Okay, most of Arnie's stuff. Not Arnie's stuff, that's all brilliant. The Golden Child. The, no, golden the Golden Child, child is also great. brilliant. Don't you say a word about <laughs> the Golden Child. What's happening here? My <laughs> like, guys. Shadow sure Numsba. It's great. My dear sweet brother Numsy. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, I revisited the Goonies uh, recently and I didn't enjoy it very much. Well, then that is scientific proof that you have no soul. All right. Here's another. Here's further proof I have no soul. Big ain't all that either. No, that's rubbish. It's great. It, well, it's not, I'm not saying great, great, but I'm saying Tom Hanks in that film is great. Oh, He's yeah. So objectively good. great, objectively, and I think there's a moment there at the end where he's walking back to the house, and the, the, you know the thing's about to wear off, and he's about to become a 13 year old again, and he looks back at her, and like mm-hmm. I swear to God, that's the moment that Tom Cruise actter became Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise, A-list movie star, extraordinary. He, Tom Cruise, Cruise. Really completely good. separate oh film. God. Tom Cruise suddenly went through a transformation. <laughs> that's Look, a real body swap. Mission is still on my mind. <laughs> uh, did, right? It was I the mask, Hanks. wasn't it? He tore his face off. He tore and his it was, face off, and it was, and it was Cruise was... all along. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, but yeah. That's movie does have some very problematic bits because shall we say? when yeah. she finds out he's 13 or whatever it is 12 12 she says well call, keep my number call me in 10 years that's not right yeah. elizabeth perkins it's not it's not good i just i yeah i thought it was a bit flat and a bit contrived and i, did, I didn't believe it i did i thought it was a bit far-fetched like a like a <laughs> young boy would suddenly turn into uh uh-huh. A, an older boy, and then yeah, it just didn't didn't know, ring there, there true are for some, me. There are some great moments as well, like the the night after he, he well, spoiler, they bang. Uh, he comes in, he comes into the office and demands a black coffee, and he doesn't like it, but he just thinks he should. He's not the kind of person that should have a black coffee in the morning. I just think that's hilarious. It's this adorable, is amazing. amazing. Uh, and F.A.R. Schwartz isn't there anymore? Yes, I know. Yeah, I regret not going and queuing up for the piano the one time I saw it. I thought I'd look a bit conspicuous behind like a line of seven-year-olds, <laughs> but no, uh, I'm fine. I'm sure they were very used to people dancing on the piano. I don't even know chopsticks. Really? No, I never had piano lessons. Wow, wow. there's a bombshell. That's, that's one of our better anecdotes. <laughs> it's, it's hard to ret- it's hard to retrieve this uh, from that that point. Yeah. If you want to have your question read out on the Empire Podcast, like Brian Herring did to his satisfaction, hmm. then you can find us on Twitter, where we're at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast. Lots of cheeky types sending us DMs these days, trying to get their questions read out on the Empire Podcast. Let me tell you, that's only going to work half the time. So, conventional format, please. Open podcast questions. Unless it's spoiler specials, in which case, yes, sure. do DMs, slide yeah. into my DMs. Um, what else? Oh, you can Facebook us. We're at Empire Magazine. And we're on email as well. Podcast at empireonline.com. Uh, Helen's got a hard out, so we're going to race through this, these next sections. That's not a Hollywood sex thing. That is, a, <laughs> that is an industry term, isn't it, Helen? It is. Uh, it is. It means I have to be somewhere, so stop faffing about you two. It's quite a new industry term, though, isn't it? Like We heard it for the first time in the last couple of years. I heard it uh, when oh, I... Oh, no, he's been using it forever. Yeah, uh, I heard it when I interviewed Alec Baldwin in Cannes. And uh, he was uh, a bit delayed in arriving. And then the, the publicist came in the flap and went, well, Alec has a hard out. And I immediately became frightened and ran into the corner. Was this like 10 years ago? It was when uh, he was shooting that seduced and abandoned dock. Uh, it so, would have yeah, been about probably. seven years ago. See, this is it. You said seven years, I said two years. But it's, we're talking about the same incident. It's just that Empire is like some weird TARDIS where time doesn't pass. It's terrifying. Anyway. Shall we have a guest? Yes. 
Let's. Okay, yeah. let's have a guest. Uh, our guest, our first guest this week is a young up-and-coming British actor. We like him a lot. He made his name in Steven Spielberg's War Horse, where he, I believe he played the horse, Timothy Horse. And uh, now he will be seen this week playing a young Bronholm, a young Pierce Brosnan. Now, I wonder if his singing is terrible, deliberately terrible, obviously, to match. In Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, the second movie in the MMCU, the Mamma Mia Cinematic Universe. <laughs> uh, he is, of course, the wonderful Jeremy Irvine. And he came in recently to this very booth Ooh. to speak to Ben Travis. Ooh. Ben Travis. Enjoy. Okay, so uh, welcome to the Empire Podcast. Thank you. Jeremy Irvine. Irvine, how are you doing? Doing great, yeah, thanks. Thanks for, thanks for letting me be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. Um, uh, you're playing the younger version of Sam, who's uh, Pierce Brosnan's character yes, from the yeah, original, yeah. and it's doing that slightly uh, Godfather Part Two thing. It's, it's a prequel <laughs> and it's a sequel at the same time, and so you're in the uh, sort of prequel uh, segments. It is. So yeah. um, the first thing I, I want to ask uh, about the film, I remember uh, it being announced and it being like, oh, it's going to be ten years since the first Mamma Mia, and it's like such a beloved, mm. amazing, like joyous camp classic. Um, and I was I had that initial worry of like, how do you follow that up? And as soon as they announced the title, "Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again," I just thought that has to happen. Yeah, when did you first immediately hear the title? You, you knew some of the same people were involved. <laughs> uh, no, it's. Um, I think actually, what, what this one does uh, differently, and I think does quite well, is. You know, Ol Parker, who's directed and written mm -hmm. this movie, and you'll know his work from things like um, Exotic Marigold Hotel. Um, and actually, I did my second ever movie. It was also his second ever movie um, about seven years ago called mm -hmm. Now Is Good. Um, and in those, I think what he does is he manages to take uh, movies that sort of have that sort of, you know, slightly poppy vibe, but actually give them a real genuine emotional heart. Mm -hmm. And I think if the last movie was sort of the one that was just sort of a big old laugh, then this one has that but also gives it a real sort of emotional core to the film. And, mm -hmm. you know, and it does, you know, there are there are sad moments and there are heartfelt moments. And I think, um, you know, I've had a lot of people sort of say, oh, you know, we really did laugh and cry and all this sort of stuff. And it's... Uh, I don't know. It's it's a it's a very difficult thing to do, and I, I I could I was just like you. I was immediately very nervous when they first sort of you know came to have the conversation with me about mm -hmm. you know is this something you want to come and uh, meet for and things, and um, all those fears went away when I read the script mm -hmm. and heard what Old Parker wanted to do with it, and uh, he's it's I think it's it's you know it's it's. I think it's a very underrated skill being able to mm -hmm. take something like this with music by ABBA and make it genuine and, uh, and make people really care about the characters at the mm -hmm. end, which, which he does, I think, really, really well. And with that, those emotional beats, the, the joy and the kind of uh, more touching moments, that, mm. that, that fits ABBA all over, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, again, the wide appeal of ABBA is whether you're an ABBA fan or not, you're mm. going to know the words. You know, it's... Uh, it, it's it's through osmosis of just you know you can't go down to a shopping centre without hearing an ABBA song yeah. or you, I mean everyone's school disco will have had Dancing Queen playing at some point so you know whether you're an avid fan or just a sort of you know someone who's just had it sort of mm -hmm. filtered into them just from uh, from you know growing up. Um, you can get involved and you're a part of it. And, uh, yeah, I think that's what's kind of so joyous about 
about seeing this movie with, mm-hmm. with other people, yeah. And on that note of, of everyone knows the hits, everyone's mm-hmm. got some knowledge of, of Abba's greatest hits, yeah. and you get a big one in this film. You, you get Knowing Me, yeah, Knowing I do. You. I, I get How Knowing you... Me, Knowing You. I wish I had to say, I initially thought, oh, God, I've pulled the short straw. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? You're be... not a fan of well, that no, song? No, 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 no. That song's great. I, just, I immediately thought Alan Partridge. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, I'm going to have to find a way of doing aha without sounding like <laughs> sounding like Steve Coogan how many variations um, did you try there was a there was a way we got around it but I mean the 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 whole thing that I again was surprised by was the minute I walked into the studio all of these songs have been rearranged for this film I think mm. they've been a lot um, they've been a lot better at really making the music fit and the lyrics have been changed Benny Anderson from Abba and Bjorn um, Bjorn sorry um you know, working constantly right up until about a month ago to make mm-hmm. all of these songs really fit. So, knowing me, knowing you, you know, this big sort of pop song from the sort of seventies and eighties now starts at a very uh, um, highly sort of emotional point in the movie, and mm-hmm. it starts off as this like a cappella, um, really heartfelt, heartbreaking ballad about a breakup, and then turns into this very sort of angry, bitter song from two people who have. Who are who are having to yeah to break up and it's, mm. it it sort of brings a whole new meaning to it once you take away all the eighties synthesizers and stuff like that and mm-hmm. it, it you know a lot of these songs actually you know really do stand up on their own as as musical theatre songs that that line breaking up is never easy I know up, exactly yeah 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 and h- how did you feel about um, the pressure of not only acting in a film but then having to carry a song in a musical are you a, a natural singer because I think one of the joys <laughs> of the first Mamma Mia as well is that it's all these great yeah. actors who are not necessarily known for their singing prowess but yeah. everyone goes into it like 110% yeah no there was no um there was sort of no doubt cast when I first met that mm. they were going to with this with the sort of the new lot that um just sort of bumbling through it wasn't going to be enough um so there was a long 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 process i mm. mean of uh of you know coming in again and again to sing and coming into the studio and recording tracks and recording things before long before you know someone said yeah you know um you've got the job Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, they had to get through an enormous vetting process of getting past lots of universal producers and things like that. Um, but, yeah, it's... Uh, I, I mean, saying that, I, on the inside, was hugely nervous. I mean, it's not, it's not something I'm... It's not something I'm trained to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always kind of sung to myself, but... My God, the difference between singing to yourself in the mm-hmm. shower and uh, getting in front of, pe- front of people to prove that you can sing is mm. um it, it's stage fright like i haven't had in years mm-hmm. and uh and i everyone was exactly the same me and hugh skinner i remember we were at air studios in Hampstead, um waiting to record uh recording two of our songs Hugh Skinner plays the young colin firth mm-hmm. and uh and there must have been sort of 15 20 execs and mm-hmm. producers and stuff behind the glass and both of us were physically shaking. I mean, really? It's, yeah, it's, well, it's mm-hmm. just such a naked thing to do. And, you know, and you're not just singing in front of, you know, some sort of audience in your local theatre. Mm-hmm. You're singing to, to ABBA. You're singing yeah. music to ABBA's music to ABBA, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, when I actually recorded my song, having thought that I'd have loads and loads of uh, sort of training before, and I actually got off a plane at three in the morning from Thailand, mm-hmm. just got off a 15-hour flight, and uh, the producers phoned me up and said, "Hey, can, uh, Abba are down at the studios in in Hampstead. Can you come and can you come and meet them?" 
I said, well, yeah, it's fine. I'll come, I'll come meet mm-hmm. them, but, you know, I'm not singing or anything. And I show up and, uh, and there's Benny. And he goes, well, you know, since you're here. <laughs> puts me in front of him. He sits down at the piano and starts accompanying me oh, to his song. And I'm, you know, just kind of freaking out that, mm-hmm. oh, my God, there's a... You know, Benny playing the piano while I while I sing his song yeah, back to him. Yeah, that's amazing. And uh, and we did it a couple of times. He mm-hmm. went, yeah, great. You know, cool, cool sound. We're done. Amazing. I was like, what? <laughs> and then immediately takes the director leaving, saying, we are doing that again. I mean, we we've got to do that again. And I I think I've texted him every month for the last seven months since we finished. And every month he goes, yeah, 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 yeah. And then last month he went, well, no, movie's locked. <laughs> <laughs> Caught you it's out. In there. Yeah. Well, it sounds, it sounds great in the film. And after oh, you've gone you. through that kind of intense vetting process, mm. um, the the kind of part of the story that you're in is is pegged around Donna's big summer adventure. Yes, um, yeah, yeah. Was it like a big summer holiday for you guys out there? Where, where did you shoot this? Um, the whole thing, I mean, to be honest, the whole together? thing, it just, I mean, it took the piss, really. I mean, we were kind of... Uh, <laughs> You know, all staying on this beautiful island together, um, getting picked up by speedboat to go to mm-hmm. set. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd wander down to the jetty and a speedboat would pull up and Colin Firth and Pierce Brosnan would step off it and, you know, sort of, they'd tap out, I'd tap in, I'd jump mm-hmm. in the speedboat with Lily James and we'd, you know, go around the island to another gorgeous bay mm-hmm. and shoot another scene on a beautiful beach or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, and then, you know, we'd all, we'd all kind of be done at six, Instead of washing your makeup off, you just jump in the sea and then go back and have nice food. And it really was a wonderful family environment that, mm-hmm. you know, everyone sort of says, oh, you know, you, we all left the movie being best friends. Yeah. yeah you kind of, yeah, sometimes. I mean, I've, I've never really, you know, had that in the sort of, only very rarely. And But on this, you know, we had dinner every night all together and... Uh, and I really do class the the friends that I made in this movie as, as sort of my, my close friends now. Is there a Mamma Mia WhatsApp group? There is, there is. What's, um, what's it called? <laughs> I can't say. Can't say. Oh. I can't say. <laughs> is it's, it uh, it's too good for public knowledge? It's, uh, I tell you what, it's um, career damagingly good, okay. I think. Um, for all involved. <laughs> for all involved. Uh, there was a lot of... Um, there was a lot of... Uh, Friday night parties mm-hmm. on the old, yes, and uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's good for, there's a good few stories that won't be going around mm-hmm. the press tour, I think, from that. Who, who hits it hardest when uh, when you go on those evenings? You know what, Lily James can hold herself. Yeah. She can hold herself. I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to go, yeah, she could, she could take, put, yeah, you can drink me under the table, I'd, you'd be <laughs> amazed. She's such a sweet, sort of innocent looking, lovely girl, but mm-hmm. um, no, she's got a heart of fire. <laughs> <laughs> And um, so even though uh, there's, there's sort of two timelines in the film, yeah. um, you were all kind of on the set together, both generations, you were hanging out yeah, with Yeah, we were, yeah, you know, I mean, I'm sure a lot of your listeners you know, know how a film's made, you shoot, you know, maybe you're shooting the beginning, mm-hmm. one of the beginning scenes in the morning and then something else over lunch and then the ending, you know, after that. And uh, it's, uh, yeah, you know, you're, there's no timeline when you're shooting. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we're all sort of hanging out together on set a lot That's of the awesome. time. And... Uh, yeah, it was just, I mean, it was it was paradise. I, I made the mistake of having my parents come out and visit me. And now they just think that every every movie I'm just, you know, <laughs> sitting on a beach, you know, yeah, yeah, being treated really well. And, uh, they might get a every holiday time. out of it. So. Well, yeah, it, it, you know, it was surprising how many people wanted to come out and visit me on this <laughs> one. It's, uh, they weren't so keen when I'm filming in Bulgaria, you know, in, in, in the winter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, one thing that I really liked in, in your performance, obviously with you playing a, a young Pierce Brosnan, effectively, mm. is that he has... Um, 
He has a slightly unpinned downable accent because he's, he's got the whole like, yeah, Irish, Irish thing, but then trans- a bit transatlantic. Yes. How, and there were definitely some lines in there that was like, oh, you sound so much like, especially oh, good, like, good, like good, yes. <laughs> how, how did you nail that accent? <laughs> did you did you workshop it with him? Um, no, I didn't workshop it with him. I, I showed up in my first audition and I did a Pierce Brosnan impression. Mm-hmm. And the director categorically said, that is not what we're what we're doing here and he's absolutely right you know you, you've got a every each of the sort of the three dads has their own role and um you know where you know you've got Hugh Skinner you know bringing comedy to the sort of Colin Firth part that only Hugh Skinner sort of could and then Josh Dillon's got this wonderful sort of cheeky charming sort of thing with Stellan Skarsgård and then for my part you know my job was very much to sort of bring these sort of um the sort of real truthful emotional heart to it. You know, he's the guy that um, uh, Lee James and Meryl Streep's character actually falls in love with. Mm. And he, you've got to believe at the end that he tortures himself for the next 30 years and never gets over it mm-hmm. um, to make it make sense. So if I was to go in there and do an impression of Pierce, that was, that was not going to be ticking that box. So I sort of, yeah, chose certain sounds um, from his voice mm-hmm. and... Uh, you know, yeah, you spend you just spend a lot of hours doing it until you until it just becomes sort of until you're not thinking about it really. But mm-hmm. um, I always love doing accents. I find it's a great way of it's a great way of getting in character on a set because you know, you know you're constantly going from bit to bit, and people are constantly going to sort of fiddle with your makeup and your mm-hmm. and this out of wig. You know, which anyone who has worn a wig in a film knows is just this endless sort of oh god the, the time that goes into <laughs> stuff like that and the constant adjustments mm-hmm. and so you have to find a way of getting out of old oh, chatting to so and so to mm-hmm. being a character quite quickly and uh, I find her voice is quite good for that so me and Lily were both sort of doing it we all had a few phrases she had mm-hmm. a few phrases from Meryl and I had a few phrases from uh, from Pierce what, what were your Pierce phrases oh god I can't remember those it's always stuff from interviews it's like a certain line he has this um, sort of no no sound that's of, good you know, no. that's good his peer sort of is uh talks about being on a plane with the kids, you know, and he sort of has this sort of thing, and uh, so there'd be sort of a phrase or something that mm-hmm. would just kick me back into it. Um, nice, but and then I think I drunkenly did impressions of Pierce to Pierce one night. How did he take it? With great, yes, I would say mm-hmm. with a humour that he didn't have to. <laughs> <laughs> Good on it him. It was very sweet. And then no, how, how was how was Pierce in the in the parties? Because as someone who's played James Bond, mm. he probably knows a, a thing or two about drinking a, a kind of vodka martini and uh, and whiskey. And yes. was, he, uh, no, was he good he, fun uh, in the evenings? He's great. I mean, he's you know he's yeah, obviously for me he's my Bond. You know, yeah, he's I was going to ask that. I think he's, we're about he's the same my, age. Yeah, he's, he's, my he's my James Bond. Yeah. So I think he, you know, the way that he deals with probably talking to people like me who, mm-hmm. you know, in my head, of course, you're trying to, like, make sure that we're, you know, treat everyone as if as an equal on set. Mm-hmm. But, of course, in the back of your head, you're going, oh, my God, it's Pierce yeah. Brosnan. This is, yeah. you know. So he counters that by just being unbelievably warm and welcoming. Mm-hmm. I mean, the first day that I was on set and he was, we hadn't actually started shooting, but we're in prep and, and he took me into his dressing room and we just sat there for for ages and just chatted and had tea and things and uh it couldn't uh, i mean it actually it actually makes me kind of a bit sort of he's so nice <laughs> he's just so nice as is everyone else and i was, I was very very lucky because I've, I've worked with colin first before i actually yeah. played the young him in mm-hmm. a movie called the railway man and with stellan skarsgård as well so i kind of i knew that those guys were going to be great mm-hmm. but um they have everyone in it and it's um it filters down mm-hmm. i think um 
you know, for... You know, obviously your your listeners know about film, interest in film, and I'd say for anyone who's, you know, who's going to be on their own set, to have to have that sort of level of politeness and stuff mm-hmm. from the top, it filters out, because then no one else can start being a prick. Yeah. You know, I mean, if, if, if one of us had even stepped out of line, it would be mm-hmm. so outrageous, because... You know, because Pierce is being so wonderful, because, you know, Colin, Stella, Merrill, everyone's being so, yeah, being so sort of well-behaved and generous and considerate that, um, yeah, no one else can step a toe out of line. And in terms of picking new projects, as you mentioned before, mm-hmm. so you've, you've just played uh, a young Pierce Brosnan, you've yeah. already played a young Colin Firth. When yeah, are you going to play next, a young yeah. Stellan? <laughs> Have you got designs on that? Oh, my goodness, no. No, I'm not following Josh Dillon. It's a, it's a hell of an accent. I'll tell you what, if you think Pierce is an odd mm. accent, try Stellan's. Yeah. I mean, that is a, that's a mix of all sorts of stuff. So, uh, no, I think I'll, uh, I'll leave that to the Josh Dillons of this world, I think. With this being a, a Mamma Mia movie, everyone knows that at the end you're going to have a big montage and it's all yeah. the cast together. And yeah. you, it looks like you're really all kind of on, on set for that. What was it mm. like, not just being around amazing actors, but a diva like Cher? How, how was that? Well, I mean, she, wasn't, she's like edit, she wasn't a diva, I can power. tell you that for nothing. Really? She was, yeah, she was great. I mean, yeah. uh, I, I mean, I got to spend two days singing with Cher I mean it's you know, surreal I mean, completely <laughs> odd I mean mm-hmm. me and everyone else but I mean yeah it was uh, yeah that's definitely there's, a, there's you know there's a lovely photo of us of uh, you know all of us with our sequin microphones mm-hmm. uh, in a spotlight with Cher and that is certainly um, yeah that's one I'll show to the grandkids it's quite fun and, and remind um, me what was your what was your outfit like in that because there, there's a lot mm. of spandex in that sequence too many spandex, yeah. I think I, to, I actually I think I won I slightly did better than the other two younger dads who mm-hmm. were in sequin spandex dungarees with Ooh, flares and a platform shoes I think at least actually mine mine was, was very open open chested but uh-huh. um yeah it's uh it's nothing I've ever worn before there was a there was a lot of a lot of conversation amongst the boys about, and you know about how much to pad out your crotch with. Mm. Um, I think Dominic Cooper took it to whole new levels with, um, yeah, quite frankly, just you know, outrageous. Um, Has but, that uh, remained in the final cut of the film? Did you look out for it in the end sequence? I would love to watch it again and really look out and see who's quite clearly taking the piss with. Mm-hmm. Uh, with rolled up socks and t-shirts and boxes and all that sort of stuff. And <laughs> <laughs> um, so I wanted to ask you as well. Um, earlier this year uh, in the magazine, we did a big sort of uh, Spielberg celebration around oh, cool. around Ready yeah, Player yeah. One. Yeah. And obviously, um, he was the director who kind of gave you one of your big breaks. In, in the, the the break, the yeah. biggest yeah. break yeah. you could ever get, I guess. Mm. Um, in in Warhorse. Um, yeah. What what are your memories of working with with Stephen? How was that experience? And now, a few years on from that, with mm. your career kind of flourishing, um, how do you reflect on on that experience? Um, I just every memory with Stephen is just of a very warm, friendly, paternal is the word I'd use. Mm-hmm. Um, with him, he's just you know you show up on a set like that, and it is it's like walking into a city. I mean, there's like a thousand people around, the number of trailers and lorries and camera cranes and all these people and yet in front of the camera Stephen creates this very very small intimate space where Mm -hmm. it's you and him and Janusz Kaminski you know and it's and it's that's yeah it's it makes you feel comfortable and really you know acting is a it's quite at times quite a naked an almost always very embarrassing thing to be doing if you mm-hmm. let it. So you need that sort of 
that sort of hand, you know, sort of you know, real sort of close contact with your director like that. It's uh, it's wonderful, and you know, he would come and visit me and sit, sit in my trailer and stuff in the morning and sort of talk me through what's happening. And uh, I think looking back on it, I would love to. I would have loved to have had the experience again and be less stressed. Mm-hmm. But you know, I mean, come on, if you've put a that's a lot of uh, it was a lot of pressure to put on. Yeah, a sort of twenty one year old um, like that. He's never been in a movie before. Mm-hmm. But, um, no, he was. Uh, you know, it's a he works in a way that I've not found since. Oh, I mean, really? No, 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 no. The sort of the the fluidity of what he, of what he does. Um, you, you know, literally arriving on set and there's a handwritten scene on the back of a call sheet that he's written in the car on the way in mm-hmm. and that's what you're filming today and wow. it's uh and i'd say also with the number of takes i mean you know if you get it in the first take you get it in the first take that's done and you you could be sat there thinking oh my god that was the you know that was like the final moment of the of this huge climactic scene and you're like and it was just done but but he knows what he's doing you know, yeah he's uh he's got that experience to be able to do that but it is a uh, yeah, it's fascinating. He, he has actually the only car, the only person who's got the same calmness and stillness that he has on set is Ol Parker from mm-hmm. this. And both times I worked with Ol, I thought that. So the next movie I did after War Horse was my movie with Ol Parker, who's directed my movie too now, and uh, this movie now is good. And I had a real shock on the movie I went on to after that with a director who was, um, you know, a, a little more vocal and visually, you know aggravating and stress because when things get stressful it's it is you know it's uh i mean i don't know look my girlfriend's a midwife so you know her her, <laughs> her work is really stressful yeah. but um you know it, it does you know, you know time is time is serious money and mm-hmm. you start losing the light and you know a camera suddenly goes down and you know it does it gets very you know and it can very easily turn into a real shouting match between yeah. all the different departments and everyone but Stephen never raised his voice once and therefore it was only on my third film that i mm-hmm. really started hearing people shouting and effing and blinding and stuff (laughs) yeah well um just to quickly wrap things up uh if in 10 years time uh we come back to mamma mia thank you for the music or whatever whatever the film might be called uh Uh, would you be up for coming back as a a mid-time pierce and uh, what song do you have your eyes uh on any particular abba song that you'd want to be your oh goodness i don't know i I mean uh, i'd always liked it i always thought SOS is a really sort of... It's got such a desperation to it, mm-hmm. that one. I'd love to sort of give that another shot. Mm-hmm. And obviously that, that's the that. classic Pierce song yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to I'd love to have a bash at that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I really can't describe it. The, the, the movie was... It was like a hot vacation. Mm-hmm. And that's why... I do, it was like a vacation with a load of friends. And yeah. that's why, I, you know, I, they wouldn't have to ask me twice, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you get when you watch the movie. It's like taking a little vacation for two hours and you just, yeah, go to your happy place. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and, and, yeah, leave the real world behind for, for a little bit. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming in. And, uh, yeah, you. congratulations on the film. Cheers, thanks, thanks so much. much. Thanks for having me. Okay, so that was Jeremy Irvine talking to Ben Travis. And now let's unleash ourselves upon the week's movie news. What has been happening in the world of movie news? Hell's bells. Can we start with Dune? Dune. Yeah, of course we can. Uh, So this is Denis Villeneuve's next film, potentially somewhere down the line of his to-do list. And apparently he's after the so hot right now, Timothy Chalamet, to star. Mm. Um, Chris, I don't want you to Mm. sing what you're thinking about singing (laughs) right now. Don't do it. Mm. You're better than that. Mm. You are bigger mm. than that. Yes. So, of course, this is the epic book. Call by me by your doom. Oh. Call me, call me, 
call me by your doom. Has, oh, yeah. Has this not violated your rule of three? No, because okay. I've left three weeks in between singing. Fair enough. Uh, is he playing Paul Atreides, a.k.a. Mwadib, a.k.a. Usul, that is the strength <laughs> of the pillar? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sorry, the base of the pillar. Sorry, this oh. is, I think this is why I didn't want to start with June. <laughs> I know, but I thought we'll just get out of the way, let him have his moment. Anyway, so this is, of course, the adaptation, the latest adaptation of Frank Herbert's uh, classic and epic science fiction novel, Dune, about a desert planet which happens to produce a substance that is, is essential to all interstellar travel. Cinnamon. Spice, Yes. yes. Um, so uh, it is a very important place and it is for reasons way too complicated to get into given to this one noble family and wouldn't you know it some complications arise and one of them ends up becoming a god I mean it's your basic story involving gigantic worms and space empires and genetic engineering and godhood you know we've all been there haven't we Uh, it's a very very relatable story uh, Jodorowsky tried to adapt it way back in the 70s. Um, David, David Lynch, Lynch tried to adapt <laughs> it, to adapt in, the it in the 80s. There was a TV series yes, in the sci-fi 90s. sci-fi did too. They did Dune and then they did Children of Dune. And while With, they're quite low budget, yeah, James McAvoy is in Children of Dune as Leto Atreides. Indeed. They're probably the closest, I would think, to the Frank Herbert books. Yes, and they're still not super close. No, yeah, but they're fine. It's one of the, it's one of the sort of the big unnailed books in Hollywood's to-do list, I, I feel like. I am so excited about this film. I, I can't thought you would you. be, yes. <laughs> um, I mean, look, it, it, um, Villeneuve seems like, a, seems like a really good choice for it. And actually, Chalamet seems like an, an excellent choice who, for Paul Atreides. Who will play the Baron of the House Harkonnen, Great House of the Landsrad? Well, who indeed. They yeah. are, for those of you who uh, have escaped James's level of mm. nerdery. Or this. indeed, who will play the Emperor, Shaddam IV. Okay, there must be some other movie news. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, to be some other Dune is going to be very, very good. Timothy Chalamet is going to be in it, and yay. Yes. Okay. So, uh, I am available to write the theme tune, by the way. No. Call me by your Dune. Call me by your Dune. Uh, there, were, there was uh, news of uh, release dates. Uh, Quentin Tarantino has removed Once Upon a Time in Hollywood from the incredible should, tasteless release date that it had. I so. Uh, which is good news. And the Joker movie, the one with Joaquin Phoenix, uh, Todd Phillips, uh, now has a confirmed release date next mm-hmm. October. And it's just mm-hmm. called Joker, isn't it? Yes. That removes one of the, the chief barriers, I think, to... You had some opposition to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, didn't you, Helen? I definitely had concerns about that release date. It seemed it did seem massively tasty. Ghoulish. And ghoulish, mm. indeed. So, um, not goulash, which no, is very tasty. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, so I, I'm very glad that they have moved that and I hope that this is, you know, uh, a sign that they're taking that side of things seriously and mm. being respectful of the victims and not just sort of going for a sort of sensationalised bit of storytelling. So, yeah, that does r- rather remove one of the barriers to enjoy Absolutely. them. Absolutely. One, anyway. Speaking of uh, DC things, spinning off yes. from Joker, uh, there is a trailer for Titans, which is the new DC TV series about the titans which i assume is some kind of dc superhero group Fantastic, um, James. and uh this is for uh the new streaming service isn't it this is on the streaming service so it has swearing in it so you get to hear in the trailer robin say the words fuck batman so no. if you ever wanted to hear robin say fuck batman then you should watch this trailer because it looks um not great is it robin or like nightwing, nightwing. Or, I, I, do you know what i don't know i can tell but you more importantly i don't care it's brenton thwaites what Oh, is it? He's, uh, he's not a bad Nightwing, choice for Nightwing. As Nightwing. Mm. Uh, Tegan Croft will, of course, play 
Raven. Uh, the first episode is directed by Brad Anderson. He's a very good director. He directed uh, Session 9, of course. Uh, Anna Diop will play Coriander slash Starfire. I'm literally just reading names off. I don't know who any of these characters Starfire are. Starfire is Mika Kelly famous. is in it as well. Alan Richen is in it as Hank Hall. Ryan Potter is Beast Boy. Um, but this has been getting a very, very funny reaction on Twitter to this trailer where people have just been basically going, no hard pass. Thank you very much. <laughs> no, we're good. But, but it's nice that you made it. Well done. Well, I, it is. And, you know, to their credit, DC's TV movies, or TV work, has been stronger on average than their movies but of is late. This, so. Is this Arrowverse or DCEU? It's not, I believe, Arrowverse. Yeah, no, it's not so. that. But is it DCEU? Like, does it connect? Because I get very confused. I don't believe it is. No, no, no. I don't So it's its, own, so. it's its own I don't, streaming you. As far as I can tell right now, they're not really worried about anything joining up very much. <laughs> I mean, that's been abundantly clear for a while. Well, yeah, but I think... I think the, the the studio bosses have literally said, well, we're trying to get each one right, we're not worried about tying them all together. Which is probably wise, given how badly they've gone wrong when mm. they tried to tie yeah. them all together. But on the other hand, it does risk making things horrifically confusing for, for people, generally. I, yeah, I think it will be. But um, but I think it's dangerous to talk about DC stuff and comic book stuff in general, given that Comic-Con is happening right now. Exactly, yes. And by the so, time uh, oh, yeah, people listen to this on Monday, there. there's going to be all sorts of stuff. For example, mm-hmm. we could talk about the Aquaman poster, which once again has had Twitter reaching for the lols <laughs> this week, which is uh, Aquaman in full leather trousers underwater, mm-hmm. surrounded by lots of sharks, which... Someone alleged to have been taken from Google Image. Well, but then where <laughs> else do you sure. get them for, you know, where you else do you them. get You shoot them. You the do sea, CG. Helen. You get you them from the sea. You don't shoot, you don't like completely CG from scratch, like animals for a poster, do you? No, you, you fish them, get them yeah. out the sea, and you do with the camera. I mean, you can't fish all of them because some of them are orcas, so. Wow. <laughs> and an orca, as we all know, is a cephalopod. There you go. So, not so much a whale as a dolphin. I didn't hate this poster. I thought Jason Momoa looks quite cute on it. Helen, put away your libido. We don't. We don't need that sort of filth on the Emperor podcast. James and I don't judge people based on their looks, do we? We don't. You know, we don't. (laughs) Helen, we are all about substance. Yeah, and and personality. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) There is other comic book movie news as well, so we'll, we'll discuss everything post-Comic-Con in next week's uh, show. But Duncan Jones was teasing all week a project, his next yes. project, and he said it was going to be a comic book movie, and then he announced it, and I was thinking to myself, I don't think it's going to be a DC or a Marvel movie, and lo and behold, it wasn't. He has announced that he is going to direct Rogue Trooper, mm-hmm. an adaptation of the 2000 AD comic strip. Now, I read 2000 AD when I was a kid. I didn't particularly like or remember Rogue Trooper. So I presume Jimbo. I did. You know? I used to read 2080. Rogue Trooper was not one of my favourite stories in 2080, but I yeah. do know uh, I do know Rogue Trooper. He's, um, I, I'm obviously I'm, I'm casting my mind back to the 1980s, so do bear with me. Uh, but my understanding of it is he's a trooper and he's, he's gone rogue. <laughs> oh, good Lord. And, uh, no, he's got... <laughs> he's got blue skin. <laughs> he's got blue skin, but he has, more importantly, it takes place on New Earth, a bit like New Metal, but more earthy. And um, <laughs> it's possible okay. I don't remember this well. No, he has, he has so colleagues, he's like, a, he's like a soldier, genetically engineered, what's it thing, and he has fallen comrades and and their personalities are instilled in these little chips. And he has, I think, one chip in his gun. I want to say one chip in his helmet and yeah. maybe one in his backpack or something. Anyway, there's two or three of them and they talk to him. So he communicates with his weaponry because they're like friends. They're like his buddies. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. I think it has that's, a lot of potential it. actually for 
for him. I think it's it's a re- it's really good, first of all, to take something that isn't one of the big superhero movies because we're seeing a lot of those right now and it is good to kind of branch out. 2000 AD is, again, not always my cup of tea either, but you cannot deny their invention and their kind of visual pizzazz and I think that's mm-hmm. something that hasn't been explored enough on screen beyond really dread. And yeah, I'm, I'm kind of excited to see what they do with this. I haven't, I feel like I haven't seen enough... You know me, I quite like a bit of the old hard sci-fi now and again. Mm-hmm. And and I feel like this is potentially one of those kind of future war films that a lot of people talk about making and don't actually make. So like the Forever War was in development a few years mm-hmm. ago, Joe Haldeman's film. You know, there have been a lot of those kind of things, option, talked about, but never quite gotten to the screen. And I think this could be one of the mm-hmm. ones that actually goes, and that's really exciting. I want them to make Bad Company or ABC Warriors or okay. Chopper. These were these were all PJ maybe. These are all great two thousand. <laughs> you don't know what I'm talking no. about, do you? These are all great two thousand maybe story names. Halo Jones. Yeah, Halo Jones is another one. And uh, is it Slawn? Slain, oh, the yeah, horned pro- god. Yeah, I always yeah. pronounce it as slain, but I yeah, I believe it's it. Slanu or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Nemesis the Warlock. Sure. Zenith. Well, I think we all remember Zenith. Yeah, do love we? Zenith. Yeah, um, yeah no, that's, 2019 was awesome. To be fair, I think it's still going. <laughs> I presume it's called something else now. Um, no, it's, 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 it's still, still called 2000 AD. They, 2000 you know, they've, they've gone um, for brand recognition with that one. Yeah, no, I, I, I loved a lot of that stuff. But uh, Rogue Trooper was one that never really I never really followed. But, uh, you know. Hey-ho, I'll watch this, especially if yep. Duncan Jones is doing it. Good stuff. Very excited. Yeah. Okay, Good stuff. So going to race through some... Uh, there's a lot of movie news happened this week. We're going to race through some announcements. Two zombie movies of... Um, Shall we say, I imagine different approaches are are happening right mm-hmm. now or are going to happen. One is Zombieland 2, yeah. which has been announced and is going to start shooting, uh, I think, early next year for mm-hmm. release uh, next year. And incredibly, they've got the cast of the original movie back together again. So cool. that is uh, Abigail Breslin, Jesse Eisenberg... Woody Harrelson, and this actually has blown my mind a little, given that she is now an Oscar winner, Emma Stone. So they're all coming back, and I really like the first film, but again, this is a film I have not revisited. I'm slightly scared that if I go back and re- rewatch it, the, the scales will fall from my eyes. The real, real question is, will they have another celebrity cameo? That is the big question. I do wonder about that. It's the I same. I hope not. I hope not as well. Mm. It's the same writers, Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick, the guys who wrote the two Deadpool movies with Ryan Reynolds, and it's the same director, Ruben Fleischer, who has lined up this movie for after Phenom bomb, for after Phenom does well at the <laughs> box office and is received critically brilliantly. Super brilliant. Super brilliantly critically. But you mentioned Bill Murray. He was an amazing cameo in Zombieland, and he is part of the cast. I actually didn't spoil him, but you go ahead. Did you not? No. I'm pretty sure you said, said Bill Murray. I just said celebrity cameo. Did you not say... No. The, oh, the, the bit in Zombieland where they go to... Yeah, Bill Murray's Bill Murray's dressed up as a zombie. Mm-hmm. And Didn't there's a hilarious it. bit where he... You Didn't know, they, mention it. They faff around in this house and and then Jesse Eisenberg kills him thinking he's a real zombie. That's right. And then at the end, they ask him, do you have any, any regrets? And he goes, no. Well, maybe Garfield. <laughs> You didn't spoil that bit? I didn't. Okay, well, I'm glad no one's here to spoil that bit then. Because Bill Murray is part of the cast of, and I can't believe I'm saying these words, the Jim Jarmusch-directed zombie comedy, <laughs> The Dead Don't Die, uh, which when, it, when I first saw this on Twitter this week, I was pretty sure it was a joke. Uh, and I'm sure it is a joke, uh, but I'm hopefully everyone's in on it. So Jim Jarmusch is directing a zombie comedy, and it stars Bill Murray, Adam Driver, Chloe Sevigny, Tilda Swinton, Steve Buscemi, and Selena Gomez I am as well. so here for this. I am plot details have not been released yet, but no, it will d- be d- out next year. There will be no plot. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is a Jim Jarmusch movie. That is the whole joy of a Jim Jarmusch movie, is you go yeah. in and there's no 
plot. I mean, Dead Man, a guy dies for three days. <laughs> That's literally Patterson. Mm-hmm. A guy goes to work and comes home for a week. That's mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Literally nothing happens. Uh, bro- it is Broken Flowers had a... <laughs> coffee and cigarettes. People drink coffee and smoke cigarettes. Well, well, better that than smoking coffee and drinking cigarettes. That would be more difficult, certainly <laughs> yes. logistically. But, you know, <laughs> there won't be a plot and I can't wait for it. Yeah, it's. I think it's going to feel unlike any zombie movie we have seen previously. <laughs> so we so we say that and and, and yes. leave it at that. And there's tons of other stuff as well. I haven't even mentioned uh, Evan Rachel Wood and Sterling K. Brown, who are in talks to join the cast of Frozen Two, Ooh, which is very exciting. It is exciting. Too fast, too frozen. <laughs> there are a couple of teasers that came out this week. One is for Godzilla Two, which which was quite frankly was nothing uh, in that uh, trailer. They, they, yeah. they, they turned it up to eleven. They they did they. Because Eleven's in it, because Millie Bobby Brown's in it. Uh, That's very good. (laughs) But yeah, I'm sure there's going to be a full teaser or trailer by the time you're out. And it's going to be a full Aquaman one as well. And Glass, we know there's a Glass panel at uh, San Diego Comic Con this year as well. And there was some news as well about uh, Mark Miller's Miller World is uh, has announced its first slate its production slate at Netflix. There's two TV shows. One is based on American Jesus, and um, there are three films. Three films as well, including Empress Ooh. and Huck, and another one that that skips my mind. So, Sharky the Bounty Hunter. Sharky the Bounty Hunter is another one is as that well. Any relation to Sharky and George, the private detectives under the sea? I uh, yes. Oh, obviously. Exciting. So lots of stuff happening in Hollywood. Guys, you just need to take a week off every now and again. I thoroughly recommend it. And just let us catch up. Get ahead of ourselves. But there you go. That's the movie news wrapped up in a nice little bow. Uh, Time now for our second guest. He is a British writer who made his mark on blockbusters in big fashion uh, by co-writing 2013's Iron Man 3, which, depending on what day it is, is my favourite MCU film. <laughs> and certainly has my favourite MCU twist. Uh, and we discussed that twist and the character that is at the centre of that twist, Trevor Slattery, in this interview. But Drew Pierce, for it is he, has been spending the last few years dabbling with big budget blockbusters like Sherlock Holmes 3 and Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. But uh, most of the time he's been focusing on launching his own career as a director, which he does this week with a stylish low budget entry. Hotel Artemis, which has a fantastic cast of likes of Jodie Foster and Jeff Goldblum and Dave Bautista and Sophia Batella and Charlie Day and Sterling K. Brown, the aforementioned Sterling K. Brown uh, and Sacre Quinto. Anyone hey. else? Have I missed anyone? Yeah. Who? Jeff. I've mentioned Jeff. Have you? Yeah. He no. was literally the second person I said. Okay, well then I wasn't listening. That's fine. Uh, Drew Pierce came into this very booth again to talk to me. Jenny Slate. Jenny Slate. She was not here, but it was Drew Pierce came into this very booth to talk to me about a month, two months ago, and we had a good old natter. This is a very long interview, I'll have to say. Uh, I did think about cutting this down into a special. Ultimately, I decided to leave it within the pod, but uh, we do talk about a lot of stuff, and hopefully you will enjoy it. Here we are, me talking to Drew Pierce. Enjoy. We're delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by the writer and director of Hotel Artemis, Mr. Drew Pierce. How are you, sir? I'm very well. All the better for seeing you. Oh, uh, you old charmer, you old smoothie. <laughs> Likewise, in fact. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to start off with uh, an appeal, Drew, because you're you. Um, I said Mr. Drew Pierce for a reason because that's what you used to be on Twitter. Ah, uh, yes. You're now on Instagram. I am. And you're a, an active force on Instagram, but uh, you have given Twitter the swerve. And you were really good on Twitter. And I know that there were probably reasons why you left Twitter. <laughs> but I'm just saying, it's been a while. So maybe now would be time to come back. 
Are you saying to me that the, the, in the five years since I left Twitter, yeah. it has become a peaceful, beautiful place <laughs> where people just say nice things to each other? People are so into Trevor Slattery on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, you, that you, is a change. <laughs> you, you have no idea. It's changed so much, the landscape has changed. But here's the thing. You can do so much these days with mutine. You can do so much with uh, the, the people that you filter on your feed. So you can, you can get all the, all the bad ones, you can, you can filter them You out. see, Chris, this sounds like a lot of hard work <laughs> for a thing that will ultimately only suck up my time and perhaps cause me emotional dissonance. I, look, it's an interesting thing. I, I've managed to not be on any social media for the uh-huh. last three years, yeah. which I won't lie. I can't fathom Was that. wonderful. Oh, okay. For <laughs> but, it. Um, but in promoting the, uh, you know, in Hotel Artemis and kind of starting it up, then uh, I at least have ventured onto Instagram, which I find to just be a, a, a much more peaceable place. Well, as you know, I'm, I'm a big Iron Man 3 fan, and I, I mention Iron Man 3 every so often on Twitter. And, thank you uh, for ki- thank you for keeping the dream alive. Well, you know, I think those small independent movies need all the help they can yeah, get. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, we kickstarted that thing. And, uh, I mean, uh, I mean, it only made what one point three billion, one point two billion, uh, uh, just between the two, one point <laughs> two and a bit, one point two, one five. Yeah, but you don't know like the numbers. That. You don't I mean, have I don't, I don't, Yeah, I know how much I got paid. It wasn't one point two billion. <laughs> and you know, now and again, there's there's a lot of love for it out there. Well, that's good. I mean, I'm still. I'm still incredibly proud of that film. I think Shane and Robert and Kevin and Stephen Broussard, who's the producer, and myself, it was it was really what people don't realise about Marvel movies is they're they're like they're tiny movies at heart. They're made by a giant army of people, obviously. Um, but certainly in the case of Iron Man Three, there was a nucleus of five of us mm. for two and a half, three years that just made that film and so because of that it is oddly personal it is oddly um i think it's a very esoteric movie for a marvel movie and you know for good and for bad there's some really weird shit in there as well um but i'm you know i i'm really proud of the fact that we made we made a, I think we made a classic Shane Black movie and we yeah. did it in the Marvel Universe and that was always the intention. Plus, you know, I smuggled an idea that was straight out of Adam Curtis's The Power of Nightmares into a <laughs> 1.2 billion-ish dollar tentpole. Uh-huh. Um, and that's, that's something to, um, you know, be, that's a good day at the office. And which ideas are specifically? Uh, that would be the idea that... This is a spoiler, Chris. Yeah, don't worry. Um, it turns out the Mandarin uh-huh. in the movie, yeah. who uh, is portrayed by Sir Ben Kingsley, it turns out he isn't the criminal um, terrorist mastermind that we suspect he is, <laughs> but is, in fact, an actor from Croydon called Trevor Slattery. Oh, my God. Um, you blew my mind. Yeah, I know. But um, but it was interesting. I, mean, like, I, I don't even know if at the time I realised that it was... Adam Curtis's documentary that kind of inspired it. But oh, right, he was okay. he was super prescient with The Power of Nightmares about the idea of... I mean, it must be 10 years old now. Of um, the way that uh, both governments and corporations will create false demons, essentially, to legitimise wars and, you know, and then, you know, corporate intervention after, yeah. after wars. Um, which, you know, unfortunately has only become more and more accurately prescient over Indeed. the last 10 years. But Indeed. I, and it's kind of odd that we managed to smuggle that kind of uh, 
you know, military-industrial complex uh, uh, <laughs> issue uh, into, uh, into a, a movie about, uh, you know, Playboy genius millionaire. I, I will ask just uh, one more question about Iron Man 3, because this isn't an Iron Man 3 spoiler special. That, that film's time has... <laughs> we did has, that. that we, you did that. That is available now if you want to listen to that. It was you and Shane, wasn't it? It was me yeah. and Shane. A lot of fun. I wasn't there for that. I was really good at it. It was a uh, very good press talk, because basically you get to sit next to Shane and work out how controversial the thing he says next will be. <laughs> and I love are there it. signs? Are there indicators? Do you know? Does he, does he, does he have a tell? Yeah, his tell is he's about to speak. Um, <laughs> I'm still really good friends with Shane. He actually, he saw the movie, uh, my movie, Hotel Artemis, uh, a couple of weeks ago and really enjoyed it. That's good. I don't think it had enough endings for him because he does like he does like several <laughs> endings on a film. Yeah, but um, but uh, it was it was a wonderful kind of um, you know uh, uh, seal of approval to receive. So oh, that's fantastic. Um, well, I was going to say because um, about the Adam Curtis thing, I remember you telling me at that time because we did have a chat that wasn't on the podcast that you said you'd come up with the Travis Lattery thing. I don't know how open you want to be about this, uh, Drew, but when you were going for a, a piss. I did. I, yeah. I, I, genuinely, I genuinely remember the piss. Not because it was uh, <laughs> in any way unusual or medically suspect. Mm-hmm. The way we m- came up with Iron Man 3 and the way Shane tends to work is we would literally sit in his house for 12 hours a day talking, not talking as his kind of collection of motley dogs that he keeps he keeps he's got like he's got the biggest heart when it comes to kind of taking in uh stray dogs and so they just potter around the house farting um this is very uh this is very puerile this uh this podcast it's not gonna get Um, any better no i know i i and i'm i'm proud of that but um but yeah and uh and i genuinely remember like going to the loo and then coming back in and going i think i know what we do with the mandarin um, I think we make him a lie. I think we make him an actor, and uh, and that's that's how you know that's we took it and <laughs> ran with it. How long were you in there? Uh, <laughs> what were you doing? I mean, it was a normal length urination. It was just a big idea for a short <laughs> piss. But it's it's funny. Um, at that time, Marvel still had the you know this this idea of the creative committee. That, that yeah. um, hung over it, um, which was a group of guys from the comics division and um, some of the guys from the corporate aspect. Kevin Feige has has you know has now moved into a place of complete independence. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a floating chair now, I believe. He just... I, uh, yeah, I mean, but that's the interesting thing is Kevin is one of the reasons that Marvel movies stay so consistently good is Kevin is both the producer and the studio. So it's just a much more efficient creative process because when you're talking to Kevin about an idea, if he likes it, the buck stops there. There's yeah. no running it up to, to someone else. It's like, great, let's do that. Um, but when the creative committee used to be there, the, you know, they certainly had a say in it. And I remember when we uh, first pitched the Mandarin, they, they were like, oh, you just want to put like Russell Brand in an Iron Man movie. It's like, no, when... I mean, no, that's not at all what we're talking about. <laughs> Russell Brand is not going to be the Mandarin. That not not to uh, not to throw shade at Russell Brand, obviously. Yeah. Uh, but the Brandarin, the Brandarin. Now, you're, now you're now you're regretting it. Absolutely, a small tear just left my eye. 
at the at what could have been. <laughs> and then one last thing I will ask about. Sure. Iron Man 3, because I promise you we will talk about Hotel Artemis, uh, is... So, Trevor's big scene, he gets revealed. And this isn't a spoiler special, but this is something that has stuck in my craw for five years now. I mean, to be honest, if people haven't seen Iron Man 3 yet, their lack of interest in it suggests they may never. Skip this bit. Or skip the, skip the previous ten minutes. Sure. <laughs> and then just arrive at minute 15. So, Trevor's big reveal, he's talking to Tony, and he is watching a football match. And that mm-hmm. football match, he, uh, he's going way, because he's revealed as a Liverpool fan. Which Absolutely. Uh, and he is watching a game in which, and I, I know this because I'm a nerd, uh, Liverpool play Chelsea and they won 3-0 and Daniel Iger is seen scoring a goal. <clears throat> Trevor celebrates it. Everything's fine. Hunky-dory. Only problem is, true that the movie takes place at Christmas and that game took place in May. So, talk yourself out of that plot hole, Mr. Screenwriter. I mean, here's the thing, Chris. Mm-hmm. Movies, Iron Man 3, whatever veracity we may have brought to it is not a documentary. Oh, come on! And uh, similarly, uh, we don't show how Happy Hogan is able to watch Downton Abbey at four in the afternoon in an American <laughs> hospital. There has to be some artistic license. Uh, it took me out of the movie. Um, <laughs> Uh, would I go so far as to say it ruined the movie for me? It's, certainly, uh, it was, it's a blemish. Am I the reason you left Twitter because of all the hate tweets yes, I was sending? That's right. Yes, but uh, but you know it's five years quarter on the bridge. It's all good. <laughs> thanks, uh, thanks for so, thanks for letting that go. Now we will talk about Hotel Artemis uh, because it has been five years since Iron Man three, and I know from talking to you over the years that you did want to direct, and obviously you directed All Hail the King, mm-hmm. uh, which was, which continued Trevor's story, that great Marvel one shot. Such a shame they don't do them anymore. Such I know. I, I mean, they literally just take up too much time. Yeah. Because Kevin, Kevin cares so much about everything that goes out the door that he throws as much into you know as much as much commitment and time into making one of the the shorts as he does one of the films, and mm. you know at a certain point. That is, even time-wise, economically, that is not a feasible thing for him to do, because particularly now that they've got three films a year rather than two. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, so you, you, you direct uh, All Hail the King. Uh, is Hotel Artemis floating around? At what point does that, that coalesce into something? Is that something you've had in your drawer for a while that you think, this is going to be the thing I'm going to direct? Well, it's, it's an interesting process. I mean, over the years, I d- directed a few shorts and, like, music videos and stuff. Um, and I... You know, and directing a movie was just the thing. I mean, it's kind of like when my generation, if I can call it that, like I didn't get into this to become a writer. Mm-hmm. I kind of got into it to make stuff, you know, and whether that's writing or directing or producing, you just like, you're there and you're just making stuff. Um, and so, but the directing part of it was really important to me. Um, and I think over the last nine years, I've specced four different scripts to direct. Um and, I mean, perhaps realistically, they've simply got smaller and smaller as movies <laughs> until I got to one that I could make as a small uh, indie, which is what um, Hotel Artemis is. Yeah. It's, uh, the, there was one before, actually, um, that really nearly happened that was, that was a bigger Fox movie called The Long Run. Um, but, you know, to get a studio movie made, a mid-sized studio movie made, you know, at this point in time is incredibly difficult. Mm. Um, and you need one of three Chris's 
to get it greenlit <laughs> and none of the Chris's were available. And so the long run, you know. You should have called, man. You should have called. I'm the fourth Chris. Did you, have, you, have you heard that? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, there's, there's been a lot of meetings in Hollywood <laughs> about the, the fourth, the phantom fourth Chris. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think it's time for you to step up. I think it is. But um, so Artemis was one of those, it was an idea in a notebook in, a, you know, actually probably during the Iron Man three writing period, literally like bad guy hospital. Um, and the way I tend to the way I tend to work with ideas is when I have an idea that I think could be good, I like start a little notebook that contains and just like over a year or even two years just write down all the stuff that comes to me for that. I start a Dropbox folder where any images that I find over that period of time okay. I put in for that. And I start a playlist. Yeah. And any music that feels like it's connected to that world or could be score or, you know, or, or just feels like it's a part of what the writing of the movie might be, uh, that goes into the, the playlist. And, and it's actually usually quite a good method for working out what's sticking for me, you know, and right. what, and what, uh, what might have legs as, a, as an idea. And so with Hotel Artemis, I think by about 2004, 14, I was kind of into the writing part of it. Um, okay, okay. But I do this, the way I write is also um, pretty specific. I, in the same kind of accumulative way, I I do, a, a, you know, a, a story outline, but it it's usually 30 pages long, um, and it has bits of dialogue in it, and it's really kind of, I break down the movie and work on the, the story outline for ages and ages and ages. And then I write the film because I quite like to just sit down and not have to think about the A to B of a scene and just let the characters talk to each other and, and kind of just, and, and just bang out living in the moment kind of with the, with the characters. So I actually write the actual scripts really quickly. I mean, Artemis was like 19 days. Wow. Yeah. Um, but, but the process leading because up you, to it... you've pre-written it. Yeah, I've basically pre-written it. Um, yeah. And... And it actually it makes the writing of the script a bit more enjoyable and a bit less of a of a grind because I can kind of fly through it because I'm not having to I'm not having to think through the heavy lifting. I can just like yeah. kind of be with the characters. Uh, can things change in that 19 day period? So you have uh, your... they change wildly. Yeah. I mean that's the other thing is like you you've been sure of an idea and then you actually get it down and you can't make it work. Uh, but there's also you know there's a, there's also a real value when you're writing of of a first draft of getting to the words the end because the script will change so much throughout its life anyway yeah but unless you have a script you can't start changing it um and the trickiest thing is a first draft um it's the reason that you know the, there's a world of rewriting in hollywood and it's a um uh you know it, it, there's a kind of industry of rewriting people's scripts but there's also there's a reason that there is a mark of respect that when it comes to kind of arbitration and stuff, the first writer in is usually always going to get a credit, even if there's not a word left of, of their script in the shoot. And it's because breaking ground and doing that first draft is usually the toughest bit. Yeah. Because that's the making something out of nothing part. And so do you... <clears throat> you say you like to have the characters talk to each other. Are you one of those writers who... Because obviously every writer is different. Every writer has a different approach. Are you one of those writers who really knows the characters again to that sort of granular level? You know, uh, when you are 
writing that pre-writing it essentially when you're doing the outline do you have backstories for the characters do you know what they're going to say and how they're going to react in any given moment or is it very much off the cuff no it it, it depends character to character with a central character i need to know absolutely everything about them because if they're going to be the emotional drive of the movie i need to know how they're going to react and and all of that stuff there are, there are some characters along the way that develop a different kind of personality and then okay. you go back and kind of rewrite them and you know and it's tough not to be precious about it because you some of the characters you you tend to fall in love with but you know, at a certain point, you know, because I was directing Artemis as well, and this obviously happens on the stuff that I'm not directing too, uh, then an actor is cast. And then you're really leaving money on the table if you then don't readdress who the character on the page is to suit the person acting. And the way I always do that is I, I always do a table read. I, I I'm, record it, scrupulously listen to it back, um, listen to what lines the actor's... Don't you know? You can hear someone resist a line, you know, in a table read. Okay. Um, yeah. And sometimes that's because they don't like it. Sometimes yep. it's because they can't land it. It's just so far from their voice. Sometimes it's because it's a, a, a shitty line, and you didn't hear it out loud before, and you're like, mm, yeah, probably punch that one up a bit. Um, and so what I then tend to do is rewrite to that character, then uh, to that actor, and then sit down with the actor. And, and go through the the script. And, and sometimes, you know, it, it happened with uh, Sterling K. Brown, who plays Waikiki in Hotel Artemis. Yeah. Um, he, we sat down after I'd kind of changed some stuff, and there were a couple of lines he said he missed. So then you bring them back in. Oh, really? Um, okay. And then also I like to kind of, you know, I, I like to get the actor's input in that stuff. You know, it's it, it's a specific thing. I know there are some writers who are like, my word is law. Um, and there are also some actors who, you know, Sir Ben, you know, um, he, you know, he says coming from a, a stage tradition, a theatre tradition, which I know sounds rather Trevor Slattery, um, <laughs> you know, he doesn't improvise. That he, you know, he's there to he's there to bring the page to life is his, you know, approach. Um, uh, whereas, you know, there are other actors who, wow, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> Whose input, either beforehand or on the day, can can really change things up. I'm fascinated to see how that dynamic would have worked with someone like Downey. Well, it was interesting. I think kind of it was a it was, there was a learning curve in both directions. Yeah. Um, but you know, but usually what will then happen is when you get into coverage, uh, Downey will just uh, riff in every direction, and in the edit, you it, and then maybe you go back to Saban's side and you throw in some lines that will help you put Robert's stuff in. Yeah. Um, so it's that, that's a process for yeah. sure. Um, and it's something that you can do on a movie that's shooting for 88 days. But, you right. know, Artemis is, like, is an indie movie that shot for 33 days. So, Much as I would love to let people yeah. riff for two hours. Um, <laughs> and that's kind of why I did a lot of rehearsal for it and stuff, is, like, is to try and get that stuff in on the page mm -hmm. so that I knew... I, so that I could move swiftly through my days because we were, you know, it's a, the movie's like set in a secret hospital for criminals, so we, we built the set, but we can only actually afford to build a third of the, the floor. So, I mean, we were burning through it so quickly that once every three days we had to, like, rip down the decoration of one hotel room, 
to put up the next one. Oh, and wow. so there was no, you know, there's no time for people jazzing around, unfortunately, in, <laughs> in, in, that, in that kind of an environment. Uh, talk us about the, the, uh, the table read. That sounds fascinating. Did you have everyone there uh, for, for this? Not quite. There were a couple of roles that weren't cast. Okay. Um, and was then, Jodie cast at that point? Uh, yes, yeah, she was. Okay. Yeah, yeah, Jodie. Um, and I remember having um, a conversation. She called me from the car on the way in. It was amazing, actually. She she called me from the car. We were, um, we were both driving in. She was like, I think I've got it. And um, I was like, what do you mean? She's like, there's a, there's a way I want to do the nurse that I, that I think allows me to get in there in the right rhythm. And she did the table read, and it was fantastic. And uh, she'd been talking in advance about how there was a kind of Barbara Stanwyck quality to the kind of rat-a-tat-tat of, the, yeah. of the, the nurse's dialogue. So I spoke to her afterwards, and... I said, did you go with that? It sounded like you were going with that golden era Hollywood. And she was like, actually, one of the things I tried to do was the way that Dustin Hoffman's characters often say something to the room, but they're kind of talking to themselves. Um, that's how I tried to kind of internalize the nurse's dialogue. And it was just amazing because when she told me that, I was like, oh, yeah, she was kind of doing Ratso there. Like, you know, <laughs> and, she was kind of, and, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a thing that I hadn't noticed Hoffman it's just like a technique that I hadn't noticed he did. But it's a really interesting, like, uh, way of externalising internalised dialogue in a weird way. So. Wow, amazing. Was she uh, number one on your list? Were you writing with the nurse with her in mind? Or do you write with people in mind? Um, I, I, it's really dangerous to write with people in mind because it, hubristically it's like goading the universe into not having them take the role. Um, the one role in the movie that is that was 100% written with someone in mind is Acapulco, who's played by Charlie Day. Okay. He's a friend of mine, and I knew that there's a lot more to him than than some of the comedy stuff we've seen him do. He's, he's actually got a ton of range and a ton of rage um, as an actor <laughs> as well. Um, but even with Charlie, so, you know, he's a friend, and, you know, I saw him on a weekend, and I was like, so kind of wrote a role for you in this movie, expecting him to be like, you know, and I was like, you know, it's pretty, I think it's, you know, he's he's a key character, and essentially he's, you know, the epitome of white, male, privileged, toxicity incarnate. And I kind of looked at him like, Great. Yeah. and he was like, cool, I'll read it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, I kind of wanted you to just say, yes, I'll do it. Yeah. Um, but And so he read it, like, it took him a couple of days to read. And I was like, oh, God. And then is he a slow the... reader? Does he read with his finger over the dialogue? What, what's, what's going on I mean, there? the like, scripts are boring. Um, <laughs> even good scripts are boring. I get it. Like, I'm the slowest script reader in the world. When people send me scripts to yeah. either direct or, like, uh, take, you know, give notes on or whatever, honestly, I have to, like, block out half a day. <laughs> and it's because my mind wanders, even if it's a great script. Yeah, but, yeah. no, so and I got, a, I got a call from Charlie on the Sunday night just going, I love it, I'll do it. So... Um, so, but I think um, there were still a couple of roles to be cast. Um, I think Waikiki and Honolulu were still to be cast. Oh, really? Okay. Um, and and that's always an interesting thing for the for the table read because then you then what you need to do is bring in a ringer, um, and you need an actor to play the role that day that probably isn't in the running for the role, but is good enough to be able to like stand the character up on its feet in the room so that people don't start doubting the strength of the role. 
Um, and that's a tricky political situation. And no, I'm not going to say he did the, uh, <laughs> the, the thing in the room read. Um, uh, because also, you know, there's always a thing, and I'm not sure it was the case with this one, but where that, where that actor's agent has definitely said to them, if you nail this in the room, yeah. then the movie's probably yours. And that's actually not ever oh, really man. true, I don't think. Because... Yeah. Um, because even if they do nail it, there's been a reason that you've not been able to go to them, whether it's because, like, you couldn't get the financing for the movie if it was based on them. You know, someone at the studio doesn't like them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, so that's, that's the only tricky bit about, about table reads is um, that and if, and if someone wildly underperforms. And I was really lucky, like, everyone I'd cast... Everyone in, the, everyone in the movie, which is, you know, an, a real achievement on their part, is brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And it's a giant cast, you know. I, I, I feel like people keep expecting there to be one weak link, and, like, and every time you introduce a new character, they're like, oh, no, they're nailing it. Okay, good, <laughs> good. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that, that was kind of, that's, that's that part of the process. And then I rehearse. Um, and that means bringing the actors in in twos and threes. Um, usually Jodie was the kind of constant because she's the central character of the ensemble. And, um, and that's, you know, that's, that's its own beast too. Yeah. Because then you're kind of surfing the tone of these two people or three people who are somewhat kind of circling each other, you know, trying yeah. to see what they're getting. Some of them know each other, some of them don't. You know, it's... Uh, it's it's a gentle part of the process. You have to you have to tread gently through it. I think. But in terms of the the characters, of this movie, you're sitting down to write it, and obviously, you know, I presume you know from the from the off what tone you're going for. You're you're going for larger than life characters. You have you know nobody in this movie. Well, very few people in this movie go by their real names. Mm-hmm. You have you know characters like Everest and Honolulu and the Wolf King, really evocative names. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk me through the process of writing those characters? Do you know what you're looking for from them? When you when you come up with a character called Everest, presumably you know the type of character that's going yeah, to Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the satisfying things about making Hotel Artemis is that it is a ground-up world build. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm not having to take other people's characters or another person's universe and run with it. And so... And that, that's a blank sheet. Um, and weirdly, so for example, the characters' names, a lot of it comes out of very practical decisions. I knew going into this that I would have very little money to make the movie because I wanted to not take it through the studio system because as a first movie, I wanted to make sure it had my fingerprints all over it, that it was for good or for bad, that it was like fully of me. Mm-hmm. And you know, I knew that wouldn't happen in the studio system because I would go in and I would say... It's uh, good news. I've got a movie that's you know set in the near future about a secret hospital for criminals, and they'd be like, "Yeah, that's great." And they'd be like, "With a sixty-five-year-old woman as the lead," and uh, and then they probably would stop listening. Um, so I didn't even bother. Um, but so one of the things I knew because there wouldn't be any money was that a I was making a bubble movie. You know, seventy percent of the movie takes yeah. place inside the hotel, um, so I would have to be cutting between bedrooms. And so because of that, I wanted to find a theme for each bedroom that would mean they were physically really different. You know, you could always do the traffic trick of, you know, kind of like colorizing, but that felt like it would take 
you out of the realities because you're in one place. So I essentially did that in the set design. I put a giant mural in each room. Um, and I liked the... And again, the, the, you know, it starts to... It starts to come from the world build. One of the things that's fun about Hotel Artemis is it's uh, the hotel itself is a nineteen twenty, a derelict nineteen twenties hotel in downtown LA, of which there are tons. In the nineteen twenties, downtown was the most vibrant part of Los Angeles, and by the seventies, it was completely derelict. It's been gentrified over the last fifteen years, but. It was absolutely destroyed. And so these glorious buildings were all around uh, downtown. And so I liked the idea that because this was the penthouse suite, that each of them would be themed on different holiday destinations of the 1920s, uh, which means they're called Nice and uh, Honolulu and and Acapulco. And and Niagara, which is the, the Wolf King suite. But oddly enough, for the longest time, Niagara... The Niagara Suite, and hence the character, was known as Blackpool, because in in the 1920s, Blackpool was one of the top five worldwide wow. uh, vacation destinations. Wow! And actually, at a certain point, Blackpool just sounded like we were trying too hard to make it sound like a bad guy name, because um, it's a kind oh, of great yeah, yeah. bad guy name. Yeah. I think, um, but and then also, and so all of this stuff starts to fold into itself because. Then you realise, or, you know, the other element that came to that is it's a movie about a bunch of people who are physically trapped in this hospital by a riot outside and and by incoming forces. Um, But it's also a movie about people who are kind of trapped emotionally, like the nurse, Jodie's character, is uh, is kind of trapped in grief. Um, Waikiki, the Sterling K. Brown character, is trapped in a kind of abusive relationship with his bank robber brother. Yeah. Um, and I suddenly became... I suddenly realised that actually the backdrops in each room could represent the world outside that they can't get to. And that then brought, like, a whole other layer to it. Similarly, the Niagara Suite, which has a giant mural of Niagara Falls, um, ends up being the... Uh, the the room where I place the scene where kind of at the midpoint in the movie Jodie Foster's character breaks down and we and we learn about you know the backstory of her yeah. tragedy yeah. and suddenly and you have this giant waterfall in a scene where your character is shedding a tear um, and there's just something about the way those two things then start to talk to each other that makes it more evocative as an as an image. Um, and so that's the way all of this starts to... That's the congealing process. When, when, your, when bits of your movie start to talk to other bits of your movie... And um, it, Shane always says something, actually. Shane Black always says that uh, the act of making a movie, uh, by necessity, the production of a movie, kind of blands out the flavour of, of a film. Yeah. And so what you have to do is put the, the most complementary flavours in the pot from the beginning in order to end up with a richness. Um, and I totally believe that um, because, and you know, and that's what happened with, with Artemis is just like one idea leads to another and then they start to help each other and the same thing happens with the characters. Um, and, and also like you, you find a movie as you're in production with it as well. For the longest time the Wolf King character, the essentially the mob boss, was Russian because I and I wrote the movie, in, you know, essentially in 2014. And as the years went on, a Russian bad guy, though 
prescient in writing. And, and actually, the reason he was Russian is because of, uh, because of London. You know, the, the interesting thing that happened over the last 15 years of kind of like oligarch money yeah. starting to, to, you know, to take over various sections of London. I was like, well, that could definitely happen in L.A., um, you know, and certainly kind of 10 years from now. The Russian uh, threat became way too obviously prescient, you know, mm. with the American election. You know, the Russians took took over in a in a much more deeply um, intrusive way than just being a kind of mob boss who buys buildings. Yeah. Um, and so suddenly that was, um, that idea felt done, and it certainly felt done for a movie that would be out in two years and was based ten years from now. Um, but I'd started to... The movie had started to take on a life of its own when it came to Los Angeles. I basically started pouring more and more of uh, references to Los Angeles and it, it very much started to become in the lineage of um, of L.A. crime fiction, like Chandler, um, and also just L.A. art in general. You know, everything from to live and die in LA to Hotel California by the Eagles. You know, it kind of all, that gilded cage aspect of yeah. LA crime fiction had kind of played into it. And I was like, well, okay, I'm going to need to reinvent this mob boss and his son, who are both very important antagonists in the movie. Uh, how can I lean into the LA of it? And, uh, and I had this idea, which, uh, which is actually kind of based on kind of David Geffen, there was a really interesting thing that happened at the late, in the late 60s where uh, the counterculture, which was thriving in Los Angeles, you know, the music scene in particular, basically there were figureheads that moved in and monetized it. Um, and, you know, you can kind of see that often people will date it to the kind of post-Altamont cynicism that, that yeah. took over. I loved the idea of a mob boss who you know, came to L.A. as a young man and because of the burgeoning drug scene, um, realised that this was a thing that he could make money out of. You know, in the in the movie, you know, uh, Jody's character says, uh, you're just another ex-hippie who swapped, you know, be beads for bombs. And, uh, and I loved the idea of a character that was very... You know, that is now like one of those Malibu billionaires that wears, you know, $1,000 cashmere sweatpants. And, uh, uh, and so that's what the character became. And that led to, instead of it being, you know, if it had been a Russian mob boss, I feel like it would have been tougher to kind of cast uh, originally as yeah. the role. Yeah. Um, but because he became the Wolf King, you know, even his name is based on the, first John Phillips solo album after he did uh, <laughs> The Mamas and the Papas. Um, uh, I, that allowed me to think outside of the box with who, who I could cast, and that's why the unlikely idea of Jeff Goldblum as a mob boss uh, came to fruition. Partly that and partly also I loved him in Deep Cover, and people oh, forget love Deep Cover. how good he is as a bad guy in that yeah. movie. Um, and I also I wanted The Wolf King as a character. I mean, again, there's like... He's an interesting character because basically everyone in the movie knows how awful he is, but he's so charming that it kind of hides one of the secrets of the movies of the movie. Even though he's literally called the Wolf King, he is actually a wolf in sheep's clothing. He's wearing white and he's called the Wolf King. Um, but he kind of the and Jeff was a brilliant vehicle for that kind of charm and then darkness. The last thing, because I, I do have to let you go, is uh, is Jodie. 
and uh, she calls you on the on the way to the table read, and she has an idea how to play the character, mm-hmm. which works out. Uh, but the character is really interesting. You say she's sixty five years old, a nurse. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jodie is ten years younger than yeah, her, I think. absolutely. Uh, and it is a role that is lacking in the vanity I would expect from an A list actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, right from the I mean, off, she's an old lady, you see wrinkles, you it's see... The, it's the reason she hunted it down. Yeah. Uh, she actually said, you know, she she was referring to Daniel Day-Lewis, actually, and she said, um, the boys always get to play characters, and the girls usually just have to play a version of themselves, and I'm bored of that. <laughs> and And so she threw herself into the change to be this character, and I agree, it is a wonderfully... Uh, Un, you know, uh, unselfconscious, unvain um, uh, performance. She wears like an old lady, a subtle old lady fat suit underneath her clothes. She, you know, her makeup. We had this amazing makeup artist, um, Lois Burwell, who um, who wanted to eschew prosthetics completely, which I was very happy with because they are very difficult to act through. Mm. But instead, used super old school, almost like uh, golden era Hollywood techniques to accentuate Jodie's age and push it forward 10 years. Um, And then Jodie spent a ton of time, you know, um, working on her walk and how an older person moves. Um, And also, you know, the nurse's definitely a big drinker and pill taker and so Jodie wanted that to be reflected in the makeup and yeah. um, you know and she just she just you know Jodie is Jodie she's been doing this for 52 years she really knows how wow. to get inside a character <laughs> but what's like amazing that. is when it's a character that's been in your head and she takes that ball and runs with it and the first day you see her on set you're just, it's astounding because uh, even the thing you thought of it was nowhere close to how good she is as the nurse in the film. Uh, the very last thing, Drew, is uh, is Acapulco, is he what Tony Stark would have been had you been able to ride him unfettered? Chris Hewitt, that's very accurate and uh, and brilliant assumption, and it's entirely true. It's the whole way I came at the Acapulco character uh, was what, it, what would actually happen if you had a billionaire... Uh, arms-dealing L.A. character. Um, he would just not be as charming as Tony even is in, in Afghanistan. I mean, obviously, Tony's a genius and Acapulco mm-hmm. isn't. But um, what, what, a, what an arms-dealer in, uh, in, in Los Angeles would be would be one of the classic L.A. douchebags that drives a purple Lamborghini up and down Sunset Strip and parties with 17-year-old Russian <laughs> prostitutes. And, and, and so he was absolutely this idea of a kind of, like, bizarro world Tony Stark. There we go. Brilliant. Well done. Good spot. Well, uh, yeah, indeed. Well, uh, at Mr. Drew Pierce, welcome back to Twitter. And uh, thanks so much indeed. It's been an absolute pleasure. <laughs> I definitely it's not n- going to happen. Never going to get at <laughs> Drew Pierce either. That's just some spam bot. Um, oh, goading man. trolls you about totally the Mandarin. <laughs> That's true. Uh, it's been a pleasure, man. Thank you so Thanks, much. Chris. Thank you. Okay, that was Drew Pierce. And as you know, this week's podcast is sponsored by Sky Cinema, which gives you unlimited access to the best movies at home, whenever and wherever you want in the best possible way. I've been a Sky Cinema subscriber for many years now. I love the choice they offer. They have over a thousand quality movies on demand ready for me or you to enjoy whenever I or you want. My first recommendation this week is brand new to Sky Premiere. It is the 17th movie 
in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Most franchises, you'd imagine if they get to number 17, are going off the rails a little bit, but not the MCU. Oh no, because it's a glorious, swaggering, hilarious and deeply weird Thor Ragnarok, the third Thor movie, which sees director Taika Waititi come on board, shake things up and make a movie about the Asgardian God of Thunder his way, which basically means going full-on Flash Gordon. As Thor, Chris Hemsworth and his brother Loki, Tom Hiddleston, find themselves stranded on a strange planet after encountering Kate Blanchett's Hela, the sister they never knew they had. Whilst she lays waste to Asgard, they try to escape with the help of Tessa Thompson's Valkyrie and one Bruce Banner, a.k.a. the Hulk, played once again, of course, by Mark Ruffalo. Now, the Thor series, Thor, Kenneth Branagh's Thor and Thor The Dark World, has been, in many ways, the most maligned series in the MCU, but this is an absolute belter. It's as close to a full-blown comedy as the MCU has got. It's filled with brilliant gags, and Hemsworth has never been more hilarious. Check it out if you haven't already done so. And then while the school holidays are on, Sky Cinema's animation collection will keep the little ones and the big ones occupied for the next couple of weeks. There's some corkers in there, but I'm singling out Toy Story, the 1995 Pixar effort that changed animation forever and teamed Tom Hanks and Tim Allen to indelible effect as Woody and Buzz Lightyear, two toys who come to life when their owner is looking. It's hilarious, it's inventive, it's brilliantly animated and is that rare groundbreaker that remains relevant over two decades on. And those are my recommendations for Sky Cinema this week. Join me next week for more Sky Cinema-related fun. Okay, time now to talk about this week's movie releases. Let's start by checking into Hotel Artemis. Jimbo. This indeed is Drew Pierce's science fiction film, believe it or not, set in a sort of nearish future Los Angeles, and it takes place at the titular Hotel Artemis, which is a very special hotel, uh, specifically a hotel-come-hospital for criminals who get injured in the line of wrongdoing. Um, it shares, it's certainly in that regard, a lot of DNA with the kind of John Wick-verse, in that mm-hmm. it feels like, while John Wick harked back to the past, this is kind of like a future version. It's like a a criminal subculture that happens beneath the surface. Uh, In charge of this hotel is Jodie Foster as the nurse and Dave Bautista as her colossal uh, sort of um, hmm. nurse. An Everest. An orderly. That's the word I'm looking for. A, a man mountain orderly. of a man. A man mountain known as Everest. Everest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and suffice to say, lots of people turn up for treatment. Sterling K. Brown turns up along with his brother. Um, Sophia Batella turns up. Uh, Jeff Goldblum turns up along with Zachary Quinto. Lots of people turn up for lots of different reasons. And the interesting part of this is uh, it's a bit of a sort of potboiler. So there's a riot going on in Los Angeles, which means no one can really go outside it's got a bit escape from New York on the streets. There are, shall we say, conflicting agendas among the guests. Mm-hmm. And it all kicks off from there. I really, really enjoyed this film. I love the idea of it. I thought it was a really nice sort of spin on that uh, on that sort of criminal fantasy underworld thing. It has a real sort of fairy tale vibe to it. Jodie Foster is fantastically good in this. And Dave Bautista, I want to give massive props to, because mm-hmm. he is a man who, when he first got cast at Drax, was so worried he wouldn't be able to act. Was, I mean, you spoke to him, didn't you? Yeah. And, he was, and he's really come a long way. That sounds patronising, but he's... He's a genuinely good actor now. He's really convincing, he's funny, he can do drama, he can do lots of stuff. So, big props to Dave, he's great in this. Um, (laughs) And also, Sterling... What? I just just see a poster of big props to Dave. Big props to Dave. (laughs) James Dyer, Empire. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Um, We should also mention Sterling K. Brown. This is kind of his first big screen lead. And I thought he was terrific. And I think he he sort of justifies why he needs to get some more leads already. Because he's he's best known for This Is Us, isn't he? And he's in The Predator as well coming out 
this year. Yeah. Um, so this may be his year. But. Yeah, he's very, very good in this, as is Sophia Butella. Also, a big shout out to uh, Brian Tyree Henry, uh, who plays Stunning K. Brown's brother in this, uh, aka Paperboy from Atlanta. But yeah, it's, it's lots of fun. I mean, the... We gave this four stars, which I am absolutely on board with. Uh, mm-hmm. I know th- I would say the, my only caveat with this is there are some plot points that don't quite like the pieces don't quite fit together. I don't know whether there were some there was some script work or whether or not they just thought it wasn't all that important. So I think if you're massively pedantic, you will have a little list of talking points at the end mm-hmm. of this. Yeah. But uh, yeah, really enjoyed it. I recommend Hotel Artemis for a mini break <laughs> I enjoyed it I had a couple of caveats there was one entire character I would lose completely just completely was it jettisoned Foster? it was not Jodie Foster I'm not going to say who it is but it's fairly obvious once you've seen the movie I think it feels and like we should do a spoiler special in this movie and <laughs> I would have done there's a lot to talk about mm. yeah there's a lot to unpack yeah because Drew and I got, got into it and I think you know, I'm, I'm, I, who knows if I left it in I may have cut it out but literally you can hear us in the interview going we should have done a spoiler special because <laughs> we're just talking so much about it. And there's so much to get into, yeah. and I'm really intrigued to know whether there were reshoots involved, and yeah, whether yeah, it was, you know, it's a low budget movie, and whether there was pressure on him to maybe change some things. And yeah, because the action sort of is not quite as constant. Yeah, as, it's yeah. not an action film by yeah. any stretch. And I thought the the sci fi element of it was really interesting because you didn't you didn't need it. You could have totally done this without it, but they really embraced that and run with it. Mm. But wow. it's not super super sci fi. Like, no, it's, it's, it's sort of. Like sci-fi, yeah, even like, less a little bit than Minority Report. Like yeah, it's definitely. A little bit so less it's like twenty years or 20 something. Twenty years, twenty-five yeah. years. Well, it's 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 a a cheap motel really in the future. So yeah. they probably have there's there is a world out there. It's probably a much much better hotel that has much better facilities than this. And but they're they're scrambling a little bit, and their resources aren't quite what mm. they were. I thought I really liked this film. I thought it was uh, it had lots of interesting character dynamics and the dialogue is as good as you might expect from you know a guy who wrote co-wrote Iron Man 3 and mm. worked with Shane Black and clearly that's rubbed off on him a little bit it, it's been pitched in many many ways as a almost a hotel version which just seems weird because we've got the Continental of, mm. of John Wick yeah. Yeah. it almost feels like it could occupy the same universe Absolutely. you have but criminals in, in a heightened world mm. yeah where there's different types of currency. And, and I like the idea that there's there's a set of rules that on the surface level of society no one is aware of, but there's this sort of subculture yeah. where all the criminals coexist in this kind of criminal universe. It's, mm-hmm. it's genius. I love the idea that they're all members of this hotel and you have to be a member to use the facilities. And there are almost there are different <laughs> hotels. It's like being a member of Soho House, really, isn't it? Uh, you, except you can rock up when the police have shot you and they'll patch you up. I mean, they might do that in Soho. They yeah. probably well. do, None, none of us are members, no. so we wouldn't know. Yeah. We couldn't yeah. afford no. it. No. What's that Groucho Marx quote? I couldn't afford it. <laughs> that is the quote, yes. <laughs> I wouldn't be a member of any club that I couldn't afford to be a member of. I think that's what he He's says. so wise. Yeah. Groucho <laughs> so wise. was profound. Uh, yeah, so four stars then for Hotel Artemis. Good cast. Really, really interesting to see Jodie Foster playing against type mm-hmm. and playing older than she is. And uh, uh, I thought Dave Bautista rocked this movie as well. He did. Good stuff all around. Four stars for Hotel Artemis. Helen's Hard Out approaches inexorably. Yes. So you probably want me to get a move on. Uh, it would be nice okay. and a change. So we should probably talk about Mamma Mia. Here we go again. My, my. I don't, I don't know the next know line. How can I resist <laughs> I don't like Abba. Okay, yeah. Uh, yes, so this is the sequel to Mamma Mia, but sequel and pre- 
prequel because it goes over all the stuff that we already knew from the first one, but now we get to see it. <laughs> did that sound overly simple? So I really didn't need to see the first one because it's acted it's out actually in this in one. This one. So uh, in the first one, of course, Amanda Seyfried was getting married to Dominic Cooper and was all like, oh, I want to invite my, da- my dad to the wedding, but I don't know which of my mum's three boyfriends from that one summer he was. And her mum, Meryl Streep, was all like, oh, don't worry about it. And so she invited all three men because her mum had obviously kept really good records of where they lived and who they were. And uh, and they all turn up and she can't figure out which one is her dad. Do we find out? No. She decides that the important thing is to have them all be well, her dad. Hang on, we, we such don't... a thing as DNA. What's she doing? Yeah, she decides against that. We don't Ugh. find out. Look, I thought we did had... find out. No, so there's no resolution out. to this film. There is resolution because her mum gets together with Piers Brosnan. This is all the spoilers ah. for the first one, so don't shout at me. Oh, no, okay, okay, okay. So I thought that because I knew she got together with Bronholm, uh, that he was the dad. Oh, you think it all just unfolds do that we, way, don't do you? Do we find out in this one? I couldn't possibly say that would be a spoiler. Anyway. Now we have to do a spoiler special for Mamma Mia. Here we go again. <laughs> we and We're Hotel Artemis. Absolutely not going to do that. So this is five <laughs> years later. And um, Sophie, which is Amanda Seyfried's character, is, is trying to reopen the hotel that her mum worked on her whole life. Is it the Hotel Artemis? It's the Hotel Bella Donna, Donna being her mum's name. Meanwhile, we cut back to 1979, where Lily James is the young Meryl Streep. Uh, and uh, she is graduating Oxford in a graduation co- ceremony unlike any that Oxford has ever entertained. Um <laughs> And heads off to find herself on a small Greek island and also find some hot totty on the way. Top totty. Yes. So There's, um, there's Helen objectifying men again. I'm just... Look, in a film where Lily James stars, I don't feel like men are being objectified here. Like, there is clearly enough eye candy for the gentleman or the woman fancier as well. So mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. enough of that, please. Mm-hmm. Anyway... So she goes off to Greece and the romantic tanglements ensue. And the thing for me about this film is there's way too much of this past stuff because we know that she gets together with these three different guys over the course of the summer. And ultimately, we don't care that much. They all seem quite nice. Something has to tear them all apart and something uh, obviously will. But like, it doesn't really matter. Everything is going to work out fine because we've already seen the future. So the future stuff is a bit more interesting and we needed maybe a bit more of that. And the future stuff is perhaps underserved. Now, this is a spoiler, but Cher doesn't turn up for 83 minutes. Were you timing? Yes. 83 minutes. I was waiting. Come on. Cher playing, of course, um, Meryl Streep's mum. Cher is four years older than Meryl Streep, (laughs) but never mind that. By the the logic of this film, Meryl Streep is meant to be about 48. They were best friends in Silkwood. I know. Yeah, but but she's meant to be 48. At this point. Meryl Streep's meant to be 48 in yeah, the movie. Yeah, because I think this movie, judging by what age Amanda Seyfried says she is, like it must be set in about 2005. Really? When Meryl Streep's meant to be about 48, and therefore Cher is playing roughly the right age for Cher. Okay. <laughs> that's not important right now. Okay, yeah, that's good. Anyway, um, there's a lot of singing ABBA songs, some yeah. of them B-sides, let's be honest, or, you know, album tracks Do they or reprise anything from the first movie? Yeah, so many songs from the okay. first movie. And they have a whole, they go into a restaurant in Paris at one point. I won't tell you which characters, but two characters go into a restaurant in Paris and the waiters are dressed in sort of Napoleonic uniforms. Well, you'll never guess what they sing in that restaurant. Uh, It's Waterloo James. Oh, right. I see. I see. I see. Okay. That makes sense. So it's, it's, you know, it's that Explain something to me. Sure. This is a story of a girl trying to, well, this is the extended story of a, a girl kind of discovering her parentage. Wh- why does ABBA feature into this? Like, what, I, why? Because people break into song in a musical, James? I don't know if you've come I, across but, the format. But why, but... is there, I just, it doesn't make any sense to me. Well, that's the story of the ABBA musical in which the film is based. 
I, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I feel maybe some more variety. You know, Is there some... a scene where someone negotiates rights to ABBA records? No, there isn't. There is, however, James needs that, the there is, however uh, just some just amazing foreshadowing. Just, I mean, I don't think I can spoil this film, but I'm not going to. I'm going to keep a few things back. But like when you hear that certain character once had a love affair in Central America, and then you're announced, <laughs> and then you're introduced to Andy Garcia's character, who's obviously uh-huh. Hispanic, and uh-huh. and and then you, you kind of start to see shades of Fernando uh-huh. in the future, and yeah. lo and behold, Fernando appears. Oh my word! I know this is great. All the hits, all in one place. Some of the hits. They also cut back seriously on Pierce Brosnan singing, so that might come as a relief. Was to it because he was famously terrible in the first one? Wasn't he, he was. I mean, you know, he gave it his best shot. <laughs> yes, he, he hit you with his best shot. <laughs> no, that would have been a better song. Yeah. Uh, okay, so a lot of people were saying that this is uh, better than the first one, and I know people here are saying that this <laughs> is the camp classic of the year. This is exactly the same as the first one, okay. um, which is to say that it is objectively terrible, but you'll have a lot of fun watching it. Sounds great. Yeah. Sounds great. I look forward to never seeing it. Get the wines in first, that's all Get I'm Get the saying. wines in first. Mm, I'm not a drinker, but I wish I was watching okay. it. Okay. Uh, other alcohols are available. Also out this week... Oh, we, we haven't given a star rating yet. Sorry. But again, that's fine. Fuck it. It's yeah, only a tradition we established over six go years. Go on. How many stars Why have we should you up? care about it? Um, three stars. Three stars. Three stars. Three, three stars, stars for Mamma Mia. Which, as we always say on the podcast, that's a recommendation. We're running out of time, so I'm just going to say that also out this week is Escape Plan 2. And all I'm going to say about that is a line that Ian Freer gave me. Didn't even have the wit to call itself Escape Plan B. One star. <laughs> oh, that's And that's true. the second... Shocking. Second Dave Bautista film of the week. It but, is, uh, and, and no, no disrespect to David, it's just dreadful. It's a bad one. It's, it's terrible. And, and if you've seen the first one, which is contemporary, this one has the same characters, they're all the same age, and yet it's inexplicably set in the future. And there are force fields and robots and nonsense, and it's drivel, <laughs> and if you watch it, you will die. <laughs> will you? I'm so sorry. It's my hot days. take. You will. It won't even take seven days. The whole thing's about 90 minutes, and that'll kill you. But you I'm watched gonna, it. I'm I did watch, watch it. Yes, this I reviewed on a plane. it. And you're alive. I am. I watched it. I have no. I, yeah, I have no <laughs> answer. I watched it with special glasses. On. Special protective glasses. Uh, yes, special protective eyewear. Okay. Um, Yes. So one star then for, one star Escape, for Plan Escape Plan, two. Plan 2. Four stars for Hotel Artemis. Look forward three to Escape stars. Plan 3, which apparently they made concurrently and is coming to you inevitably like a giant iceberg. So the film of the week is still Mission Impossible 2 then? Uh, Full Light. Which I still haven't seen. Oh. And in fact, isn't out yet. So. <laughs> well, is it well, not? It's until next oh, week, I mean, isn't it? Ignore me, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm seeing it on know, Monday morning, but um, uh, yeah, hey, if you want to, if you want to watch it, you know, don't do it via legal means, yeah. but uh, I'm sure there'll be, you know, James just said it's a screening. Just go along. Yeah, to that. just come with me. Just tell come them with the Empire, me to see Mission Impossible. Yeah, tell them the Empire podcast sent you. I'm sure they will have absolutely <laughs> no problems with that. Uh, check James's Twitter; he'll tweet out the details later on. We missed, are we allowed to mention the most exciting news of the week, which we, we can very quickly say that there has been announced a screening of the film. I think we're all most excited about this year. I do, of course, refer to. The Meg. And the screening um, is at a Lido. It's going to be amazing. For foreigners listening, uh, a, a Lido or Lido is a outdoor swimming pool. Yes. I'm not as excited about this film as you guys are. <laughs> That's going to be a shock. And Jason Statham's going to punch it. You, what? We'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. You can, you can sit in my dinghy, Helen. I'm Thanks. slightly concerned that by having it at a swimming pool, 
two things are happening. We talked last week about outdoor screenings. We talked last week about how they showed Scooby-Doo at a lovely amphitheatre yeah. to kind of distract you from the terribleness happening on screen. And I'm concerned... Budgie smugglers. <laughs> I'm concerned... <laughs> that that's what's going to happen here. And yes, I'm also concerned that nobody in this pod booth and nobody in the general London film community as a whole needs to see my man boobs. So are we being expected to like no. short Could up this be for this the thing? time to break out that lime green Borat mankini that we've been hanging <laughs> on to? Because I'm saying this could be special. Oh, yeah. you know what? That night of the screening, I now have plans. Oh, is that oh. the time? I'm bleaching my hair and then that is it that- for this week's Empire Podcast. Brought to you by those wonderful peeps at Sky Cinema. Join us next week for more film-related fun when we'll be joined by one of the stars of Mission Impossible Fallout, Vanessa Kirby. She Ooh. was a lot of fun, let me tell you. Uh, also keep your ears peeled for our Mission Impossible Fallout spoiler special with director Christopher McQuarrie. I've got a feeling that's going to be a two-parter. I've, got a, I've just got a feeling it's going to be a two-parter. Uh, also coming your way, Sporter Special Wise, will be Ant-Man and the Wasp, which will be out around August 6th, something like that. And that's with the director, Peyton Reed, and the producer, Stephen Broussard. And, um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Woo! It's been, um, it's been fun. Okay, good. Can I go? Uh, so, you know... Can I go? I mean, you've got a, you've got a hard out, Helen. I've got to let you go. Obviously, I can't just keep you here for no good reason oh my god uh, it has Bye, been a lot everybody. of fun it's been a lot of fun and it is a goodbye of course from uh, James Dyer uh, yeah I, I have a small speech that I've prepared it's uh, <laughs> you know there's You're a few words dreadful. a few words I wanted to say on bye of all the souls I've encountered <laughs> in my travels <laughs> Helen's is the most human <laughs> well I was going to say hurried but yes <laughs> Uh, it's goodbye from Helen O'Hara. Toodaloo. Helen O'Hara, who, of course, I first met. Oh, my God. Back in, when was it, in 2003, Jerusalem. 2004? <laughs> <laughs> and it's goodbye from me. I'm off to let Helen have a hard out. Oh, my God. What? That's an industry phrase. Helen, leave this room. I shall. Bye-bye. Immediately. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye. Bye.